and welcome to In Search of Insight, Nootropics Depot's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Erica, or Nootropics Depot guru on Reddit, and sitting next to me is our product specialist, Emil. Hey everyone, and you might know me as Pretty Chill on Reddit. So today, Emil and I are diving into an exciting conversation all about testosterone supplements. We're going to be talking about Tangara Lee, we're going to be talking about Sustanch tubulosa, and Fidogia agrestis. And for those of you who are interested in testosterone supplementation, you have already heard these names floating around in the internet, on bodybuilding websites, tips for your workouts, and how to promote mood and endurance. And so we're going to get really, really deep into the science behind these testosterone supplements, why you should consider taking some of them, and why you should think twice before taking others of them. Hint, hint, it's Fidogia agrestis. And on that note, we'll be talking about some controversial topics uh, on this podcast, one of those being testosterone supplementation in women. And the other controversial topic, of course, being Joe Rogan, who's in the title of this podcast. And boy, that really uh, stirred up some some controversy even before we released it. Ruffled some feathers, shall we say. Yeah, seems like a lot of you guys don't really like Joe Rogan, uh, which is completely understandable. He's a very controversial person. He has recently said some stuff that is frankly flat out dangerous. But he also has one of the biggest platforms where we can learn for free about supplements. And I think because of Joe Rogan's podcast, we are all a lot more aware of supplements and what they can do. And he's brought on some really important people like Andrew Huberman, Rhonda Patrick, and a whole host of other giants in our industry. So it's a really good platform. And we feel like we should be interacting with it a little bit because in this podcast with Andrew Huberman and Joe Rogan, some very interesting things were said, but some controversial and maybe not entirely safe recommendations were made. So we'll be touching on that a little bit as well. We also wanted to let you know that to set the record straight, we're not associated with Joe Rogan in any way, personally or professionally, but we did want to basically open up the conversation about what other people in the supplement industry are talking about when it comes to testosterone supplementation. And we wanted to give you the valuable and and essential information, scientifically backed information, so that you're informed about the best way to approach testosterone supplementation for yourself and to consider what to look out for when shopping for testosterone supplements on the market in general, but specifically what Nootropics Depot's testosterone supplements might be able to do for you. Yeah, and and that will really be the focus here. So we want to keep it on that. Joe Rogan is coming in here because we just have to address it. Coming in here and in, in, in topic, but not physically coming into the yeah, podcast. Yeah. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be us like it always is. Uh, but we'll be talking a little bit about Joe Rogan and Andrew Huberman more specifically, actually, because he is the one who made some of these recommendations. And actually, we were selling Tonga Dali long before this podcast happened. And it's always been on our radar. I've actually been taking Tonga Dali probably for about seven years or so on and off here and there. So I was really excited for us to get a Tonga Dali supplement. And when we got it a few months or maybe even a year or two later, 
this podcast came out and our sales just shot through the roof. Like 900% increase on sales for Tonga Dali. And we had no idea what was causing this. When something like that happens, oftentimes you can trace it to a single event when such a big increase happens. It, it doesn't feel very organic. So we looked around and we, we found this podcast and it's a really interesting podcast. So this is also a bit of a response to that podcast and maybe a continuation and going a little bit deeper because the podcast, it's a three hour long podcast and the part about Tonga Dali is really only like a five minute section of it. The rest is, is interesting and entertaining to listen to, but we want to go a little bit more in-depth about what exactly Tonga Dali is, what exactly Fidojo Agrestis is, and why you probably don't really actually want to be taking Fidojo Agrestis. And I have to say, and Andrew Huberman, if you are listening, I respect your work, but I don't really understand your Fidojo Agrestis recommendation, because you are very strong on human clinical research. And... All of the things you recommend, like recently you recommended apigenin for sleep, magnesium threonate for sleep, and theanine for sleep, and there's a lot of human research on these things, and human research on these things for these purposes. Fidoja agressus, though, as far as I can tell, there are no human clinical trials on it. And that's a big problem, because we're not entirely sure if it's safety profile. And this brings us to a really important point in general, uh, that I feel I need to share right now in the podcast, which is that a lot of you who are listening to the podcast have, have been following Nootropics Depot for years, and maybe some of you are new to our brand, but what we want you to know and, and, and we want to say to you directly is that the quality control standards of the supplement industry are quite horrible, and we at Nootropics Depot believe that this needs to change. And so, though there aren't a ton of issues in the world that we can directly change and affect as individuals. We at Nootropics Depot feel very strongly about providing safe and effective supplements and making that change every single day. And this is a part of the reason why we're addressing Fidoja agrestis specifically because of this lack of research and also lack of safety. Absolutely. And and really, honestly, a lack of... Uh evidence for any sort of effects that are being discussed on this on the Joe Rogan podcast and the interesting thing is there are some other things like Fidoja Agrestis that do the same thing but actually have human, human clinical trials done on them some human evidence for safety and just a much longer history of use and, and one of those things is substantial so we'll talk about that so Emil what is Tongarali? Okay, so a little bit of background here. I grew up in Malaysia, and Tangadali is a Malaysian root. It, it's a plant. The plant is actually called Uricoma longifolia. It's also known as longjack uh, or Tangadali, and it's really popular in Malaysia. I remember as a little kid driving around and seeing these billboards with old men on them with canes and these little sachets of Tangadali infused coffee. I was always curious what it was. Later in life, I got into this, and, and now I'm, I'm very aware of what it was. So that's kind of a, a fascinating thing for me, and Tonga Dali has always been really interesting. And this is something Andrew Huberman actually mentioned on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, is that other countries are much more advanced 
at hormonal regulation using plant substances. It's something we are way behind in the Western world. And clearly, if you look at something like Tangadali, which has been used for maybe hundreds of years in Malaysia or in Southeast Asia in general, we are a little bit behind because we've only really started to discover Tangadali in the last decade, maybe two decades. And especially in the last year or two, Tangadali has become really famous. But anyways, the plant Eurocoma longifolia, the roots of it contain a plethora of different compounds, different peptides and proteins and carbohydrates and starches and things like that. But what we're really interested in is Eurocoma known. And that's the compound we'll be talking about extensively during this podcast. And that's also the compound that we standardize our Nootropics Depot Tangata Lee extracts for, right? Absolutely. So we have two different Tangadalis. We have a 2% urocominone and then a 10% urocominone extract. So two different purposes. And, and we, I guess we can get into the differences between those real quick here too. Absolutely. Um, I personally have been taking both the 2% and the 10% Tangadali extracts because I was really curious for myself as a woman uh, to take these extracts because I know that they're they're supposed to support testosterone, right? And testosterone in women can sound like, ooh, controversial and maybe even a scary conversation to even start. Um, but because I'm interested and I'm open and I'm excited to try out some different supplements for myself, and I also have experienced a lot of benefits from some testosterone-supporting supplements prior to taking these, I was like, I'm game, let's go. I'm curious to see how these two different extracts compare. And in my experience, um, the 2% extract was really interesting. Uh, I took this one first and just by itself um, in the morning on an empty stomach, no other supplements, no caffeine interactions, just 2% Tongadali extract all by itself. And one thing I noticed is it took about mm, 30, 35 minutes to start to kick in for me to start to feel those perceptible benefits. And then once it did, there was maybe about 10 to 15 minutes of slight nausea, and I felt really, really tired for about 15 to 20 minutes along with that nausea. And I was thinking, hmm, this is interesting, okay. And then at that 20 minute mark or so, the nausea went away and the tiredness went away, and then I felt this kind of sense of general calm. There was somewhat of a nootropic, like, mm, cognition supporting element to it, but kind of hard to put my finger on. And, and then, I would say this is my a similar experience for me with the 2% and something I hear from a lot of you guys too, is that the 2% is a little bit more calming, it's a little bit more cognitively noticeable and perceptible, and it still has some of those testosterone effects and confidence effects and muscle building effects overall. But it's an interesting one. And it's interesting because when we standardize for different compounds in an extract, we basically delete other stuff and concentrate the main active compound. In this case, urocominum. So what we're doing is we are stripping away other compounds slowly and concentrating urocominum. And you can imagine with the 2%, when we concentrate for the urocominum there, we don't have to delete as much other stuff. So it's 2% urocominone likely in a matrix of other supporting bioactive compounds that drastically changes the effects. 
And one way to describe this, which I've learned from Emil, is that the 2% has a more full spectrum effect. Correct. Absolutely. And when you move up to the 10%, it becomes more selective. So with the 10%, you get more of those effects of your comedone without some of the other stuff in Tangadali. So Erica, what did you experience on the 10%? Well, it's pretty funny because um, after taking the 2%, I was like, this is kind of cool, but you know, I'm not sure if it's that much of a standout product that I would want to take every day unless I really wanted it for the longer term testosterone benefits. On the other hand, when I took the 10% Tangata Lee extract, oh boy, I was really excited by this. I was not only excited by it, I was motivated by it. I was inspired by it. Um, I felt honestly way more sarcastic and aggressive and sort of, I don't know, would antagonistic be the right word to describe it? I would say masculine energy because... If that's, if masculine energy exists, that is what I felt from the Tangata Lee 10% extract and it was significant and it was really noticeable and that effect lasted actually throughout the day. I couldn't necessarily feel the onset like I did with the 2% because I find the 10% has less physical like sensation effects but the attitude and sort of the mood effects were very, very obvious to me as soon as it started kicking in, I would say probably about 45 minutes after taking it. But I didn't feel a come up. It was just all of a sudden, I was like, boom, this is what's happening. This is what I need to do. Get out of my way. Let's go. <laughs> and this is honestly why I say a little bit of masculine energy, because I spend a lot of time with Erica working on these podcasts and she hadn't told me that she took 10%. And I was thinking something is a little bit off with Erica. She's so much more no, no, in not my off, face. Not off, on. Oh yeah, on. But for me, at first, it, it was a little bit, I had to get used to it. You were so much more direct and confident and telling me what to do and this is what you don't do and oh, we got to do this. And, and it, it was actually a, a nice experience once I warmed up to it because you were so much more confident. And I noticed the same thing for myself. I recently... Uh, jumped on a meeting right after taking some Tangata Lee and I was fired up. I really had to like tone things down because I just had so much more confidence. And I think this is something that everyone experiences with Tangata Lee. And, and it's... specifically the 10% extract that we have. Yes. And this is actually why I personally like the 2% more because the 2%, I get that similar aggressive kind of mindset and more confidence and more in-your-face attitude, but it's toned down and it's nice and relaxed. Like what you were saying, it, it mellows you out a little bit more, but you can still notice that confidence. Whereas with the 10%, you have much less of that calming effect, so the aggression and the confidence comes through a lot more. An interesting thing to note, though, and this is where we immediately jumped into some controversial material, because... You just heard a woman talk about taking a testosterone supplement and having a very great experience with it. And if I look over at Erica right now, she's not standing next to me with a giant beard or a mustache. <laughs> there is no facial hair. She doesn't have an Adam's apple. This is not how testosterone works in women. And women need testosterone as well. And I think Erica can probably uh, attest to that fact. Sure. Um, I've taken a handful of 
supplements from Nootropics Depot that are testosterone-supporting supplements. Which ones, by the way? Uh, the one that I've been taking for a while is Sistanch, um, the Sistanch tablets, which I really, really like. I find that to be particularly calming, and um, I really like the cognitive benefits of that. Um, I take, I'm now taking, and probably will continue to take, the Tongatali 10% because I just can't get over how, how much more effective I feel in general. And both of us took it before this podcast, by the way. So if you do notice, actually, in our voices and in our demeanor that we're a little bit more confident and direct, it probably actually is the Tongatali. And it has a pretty profound effect. I do have a theory, though, because... Eric and I both take Sistanch daily, but we don't take Tongadali daily. So I've had a little bit more of an experiment with Tongadali. I took just Tongadali by itself, and then I took Tongadali and Sistanch by itself. And then one time I even took Sistanch, Tongadali, DHEA, and Pregnenolone, Shilajit, and Zinc, Creatine as well. I felt great on that. That's like the mother load or perhaps the father load. Yeah, maybe that was a little bit too intense. But what I've noticed now is I'm just taking Sistanch every day. And now when I add um, some Tongadali, it's like hitting the boost button. Everything is working fine and I'm nice and confident. And now when I add Tongadali on top of my chronically supplemented Sistanch, it just rocks it up to another level. So... We'll talk about this a little bit more, but I think this is a really interesting way in which to utilize Tongadali. Absolutely. So before we get into all that juicy information about what to stack with Tongadali or, you know, how you can incorporate Tongadali into your everyday testosterone supplementation, I'm really curious to learn a little bit more about what your Comanone does specifically, because I know there's some of you out there who want that nitty gritty mechanism information. So what is your on doing? What uh, systems in the body does it act on? And what are the pathways of its actions? It acts through a pretty complex set of pathways uh, originating in the brain and kind of ending in the testes for men. And for women, it actually ends in the ovaries and in the adrenal glands. So for men, most testosterone is synthesized in the testes and it's synthesized by cells called Leydig cells. And these Leydig cells respond to signals that you get from the hypothalamus. So in the hypothalamus, you have a a hormone called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GNRH. That stimulates the production of luteinizing hormone, LH, and uh, FSH, which I always forget exactly what that stands for. Follicle, yeah, follicle-stimulating hormone. So luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone get induced by the release of gonadotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. And the uh, FSH and LH increases happen in the pituitary. Then this LH and FSH from the pituitary stimulates the testes to produce testosterone in these Leydig cells. But then there is a negative feedback loop. When a lot of testosterone gets produced, there is an enzyme that aromatizes this testosterone, which then turns testosterone into estrogen. And then that estrogen can act on estradiol receptors that are in the hypothalamus and pituitary, and they actually kind of regulate how much testosterone can be produced. So it's a a bit of a self-regulating system. We're going in with Tongadali, and we are dysregulating this system, allowing more testosterone to be produced 
kind of overriding that self-regulating off signal. So by that, we can achieve in people with normal testosterone levels, we can uh, achieve higher than normal testosterone levels. And in people with slightly lower testosterone levels, we can see a normalization of testosterone levels and maybe even a little bit of an increase. And Andrew Huberman in the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, actually, and I'm not sure if, if it can get that significant because he, Andrew Huberman is saying that Tonga Dali has been shown to increase testosterone levels by 100 to 200 points, which is a quite large increase. It's not a crazy increase that you might see with other illicit things, but it is quite a big increase. Um, and actually, we have seen some blood tests of people on Reddit, and we have seen such large increases. I wouldn't expect such a large increase to happen for everyone, but the takeaway point here is that Tonga Lee causes quite a significant increase in testosterone production. And this is where Fidoja agrestis also comes in, because as you can see, luteinizing hormone is an essential part of the step of increasing testosterone production. And Andrew Huberman is suggesting for Joja Agrestis because it significantly upregulates luteinizing hormone levels, which luteinizing hormone levels also control the amount and density of Leydig cells, and it controls the activity of these Leydig cells. So luteinizing hormone is a really important part of the equation here. So in theory... Uh, the idea of suggesting Fidoja agrestis makes sense because it's helping support luteinizing hormone levels, right? Correct. So Fidoja agrestis, one of its main effects is that it enhances luteinizing hormone levels. And because the effects of Tonga Dali depend quite a bit on this luteinizing hormone, upping the luteinizing hormone levels a little bit more with Fidoja agrestis causes a synergistic effect between Tonga Dali and Fidoja agrestis. And the combined effect should, in theory, and this this hasn't really been verified with human clinical trials or anything, but in theory, it should further enhance the testosterone increases that we see from Tonga Dali. So this is why Fidoja Agressus is being promoted for this by Andrew Huberman. The interesting thing, though, is there are no human clinical trials on Fidoja, and the animal trials that exist are a little bit conflicting in their safety reports. So one thing on the Joe Rogan experience uh, that is talked about is that Fidoja agrestis makes your testicles big. And like Joe Rogan said, who doesn't want big testicles? Well, for one, I don't necessarily want big testicles because it would make sitting a little bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> but... On the other hand, when your testicles are growing that much, uh, it might not be a very good thing. And in these studies, actually, that seems to be the thing that is a little bit questionable. So the increase in testicular size could certainly increase because of this extra luteinizing hormone. And this seems to be the case to a certain degree. But I'm curious, is it doing anything effective for testosterone? For sure. It, it's very effective for testosterone. There is absolutely no... Uh, question about that. And and in these studies, you see massive increases in testosterone, and it's good. Okay. Um, so for that effect, great. The, the thing that is a little bit concerning is that it also affects a lot of different enzymes and processes within the testes, and it seems to be transiently toxic to the testes and testicular cells. Can you be a little more specific? What do you mean by transiently? It means that it isn't 
permanent. There's no permanent damage that they can see, but after 30 days, there is minor damage to and a decrease in function of the testes, which ah, is not good. No. After seizing supplementation, this does seem to correct itself, but this is after 30 days in an, in an animal model, and we're not really sure what would happen after a year in a human model. And if your testicular function is down during this year, how good or bad is that? So, so at this point, we're saying not worth the risk. We are saying not worth the risk, and, and a lot of people are saying not worth the risk. Another thing with Fedoja agrestis is, uh, and it, it was an interesting part of the Joe Rogan experience too, is that this is a Nigerian shrub. And in our experience, a lot of supplements that are coming from the African continent are much less well understood than their Southeast Asian counterparts or Asian counterparts from China and India where there's well-documented historical use. And thousands of years of use and, and very well-documented and lots of people who are still practicing this and who have brought this knowledge over to the Western world, translated a lot of these texts into English so we can understand it. And then there's a lot of Western studies and uh, studies from all over the world that have proven how these things work and their safety profiles and there's a lot of human clinical trials. I mean, just think about things like ginseng and ashwagandha and a lot of those type of herbs, very popular ones, very well understood. The herbs from the African continent are extremely interesting and I really want to dive into those a lot more. One of those is canna something we have carried in the past and will hopefully carry again in the future. A very interesting plant from South Africa. But Vitoja agrestis is also from the African continent. The main sources seem to be South Africa. And like Kana, it's very hard to source high-quality materials in good amounts outside of South Africa or maybe Nigeria. So the stuff we are getting here we don't really know, is it Fedoja agrestis? There's been a really large uptick in interest for it, so it probably means some people are slinging some fake Fedoja. So when we consider the full picture, questionable safety and questionable availability and questionable knowledge about how to grow Fedoja, how to properly process Fedoja and those sort of things on a more commercial scale, make it a very tricky product to look into, to source, to sell. And to standardize for, I can imagine. And to standardize for, yeah. There will be likely issues getting reference standards and things like that. So this is one of the reasons why we are looking into Fidoja, but we've kind of put it on the back burner because it just doesn't seem worth it, especially when there are other options. Of course. And Tongatali being one of the one of the standby options that people have been familiar well, with and more so a, an option that synergizes with Tangadali because that's oh, sure. that's what Fidoja aggressus is for. Okay. So Tangadali will always be there. 
It's solid. It works really well by itself. But but we're trying to get to this segue, which I think you were hinting at earlier, which is that there are alternatives to Fedoja that will synergize with Tongadali. And the one we're going to talk about is Cystange tubulosa. Yes, because Cystange tubulosa does the exact same thing. It enhances luteinizing hormone levels. But furthermore, it also upregulates all of the testosterone synthesis enzymes that exist in the testes. And some of these are the CYP enzymes. And a lot of these enzymes get upregulated by Cystange. And this is why Cystange is actually a really good stand-in option for Fedoja. The first reason being that Cystange tubulosa has a very long history of human use in traditional Chinese practices. So we have a lot of evidence that it works, how it works, um, that it's safe. Furthermore, in the last year or two, there's actually been a few clinical trials, human clinical trials, high-quality ones, on Cystange, where they also evaluated safety, and it's safe. So we know it's safe, there's a long history of its use, there's a long history of its cultivation practices and extraction practices and things like that, and there are well-established sourcing options and trade routes and stuff for these, uh, for Cystange. So this makes it a really good option to have uh, when you compare it to Fedoja aggressives. We have human data, it does pretty much the same thing, it's easy to get. And reference standards exist so we can actually test for it and we can standardize it properly and we can be assured of its safety and efficacy, which is always what we want. Absolutely. So I'm curious then, what's the benefit of stacking Sustanch and Tongadali? Like if you were to compare just Tongadali by itself versus Tongadali with Sustanch, what else do you gain from Sustanch? So what you gain from Sustanch is the same thing that you would gain from Fedoja aggressus, which is enhanced luteinizing hormone expression. And when you have enhanced luteinizing hormone expression in the context of Tangadali supplementation, then the testosterone increasing effects of Tangadali should go further, which is why Andrew Huberman recommends that you take Fedoja aggressus together with Tangadali. But in our opinion, as we've talked about in depth now, Cystange is actually the better option here. And in my opinion, it's also the better option because Cystange has a trick up its sleeve. And this trick is that it enhances growth hormone secretions too. So not only are you getting the muscle building and anabolic effects from the enhanced testosterone levels that you might get from Tongadali and Cystange in combination, and even just Tongadali by itself or Cystange by itself, but furthermore, you are getting testosterone and growth hormone. Growth hormone also being very important for muscle building. So, in my opinion, this makes Cystange the superior option when compared to Fedoja. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. So I think now that we have a really good understanding of the mechanisms and where Cystange and Tongadali are from, and the concerns and the issues with Fedoja agrestis, I have a much better understanding of, of just the benefits of this kind of testosterone supplementation. But I also want to know, for everybody out there who's wondering what's going to happen, what would happen if I'm making changes or taking supplements that are affecting my hormones? If I'm a man, how are they going to affect my testosterone versus my estrogen levels? If I'm a woman, how are they going to affect testosterone and estrogen? Are there any other hormones... Um, in the mix here that that we should be thinking about 
when it comes to the effects of Tongatali and Sistanch. Yeah, and this is where the whole hormone thing gets very uh, complex, and I would actually recommend some of you go and listen to some of Andrew Huberman's fantastic podcasts that go very in-depth about hormones. Uh, Andrew Huberman is a fantastic researcher when it comes to hormones, and he has a lab at Stanford, and actually in college I learned a lot about um, brain development surrounding testosterone and a lot of this research was from Andrew Huberman so if you are interested in diving really deep into the hormone thing go look at some of his podcasts too but within this podcast I, I can go into depth a little bit too we are when we are enhancing luteinizing hormone levels we're actually also enhancing our estrogen levels a little bit too which is a good thing we need estrogen men need estrogen women need estrogen we don't just want to tank estrogen levels. Tongadali does have a slight anti-aromatization effect, so it will prevent some of the testosterone from turning into estrogen, which is part of how it also uh, enhances testosterone production in addition to actually blocking some of these estradiol receptors that uh, turn off testosterone synthesis. So there is also a strong estrogenic uh, part to this which is good, we need it, this is part of the process. And when we're looking at that too, a big one is actually prolactin. And we've heard a lot of uh, concerns about if I'm taking something that enhances testosterone levels, then that must mean I'm also getting more estrogen levels. And because of that, if I'm a man, I might start developing breast tissue. And this is actually not something that's super related to estrogen or testosterone. It's actually related to prolactin. That comes as a surprise to me because I think, uh, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but as a, as a person with less knowledge of the hormone systems, I always assumed that estrogen, more estrogen or changing estrogen would have these, you know, quote, estrogenic effects, which I might associate with growing breasts or gaining weight in different places and, and estrogen definitely does that and but in men it seems like prolactin is actually the, the bigger stimulator of breast tissue and if you so what is prolactin exactly well if you consider the name pro what oh lact lactose lactate yeah so what do you think it's mostly doing in women oh it's a lactation hormone yes gotcha that makes sense but it also plays a role in, in men, and part of it is uh, the ability to ejaculate and to achieve orgasm is related to prolactin, and people with very high prolactin levels may have issues um, in this area. So dampening prolactin levels can be positive for libido, it can be positive for preventing some of this breast tissue growth in men, um, and this seems to be the one thing that's often overlooked and especially overlooked in testosterone supplementation. So some people might actually have some issues related to prolactin and Tongadali might exacerbate this. So I wanted to find a good option for this. And one very common option in some different worlds is that you block, or actually, sorry, you don't block, you activate dopamine D2 receptors. And this activation of dopamine D2 receptors blocks prolactin production. So we want something that activates dopamine D2. 
Okay, that makes sense. And this is rem- this is reminding me of something we spoke about in a previous podcast. Um, I can't remember which one it is, but we were talking about the hormonal changes that women experience throughout their menstrual cycle and the fact that right before the menstrual cycle actually begins, um, dopamine D2 receptors are activated, which causes mood changes and physical changes and basically prepares the body for menstruation. Correct. Uh, and, and yeah, I can't remember what podcast I was in either, but we, we were talking a little bit about some exotic dancers in that Yes, one. definitely. So if you're curious about that, uh, go go search on YouTube. It's going to be tagged in our chapters that we have. So exotic dancers related to dopamine D2. Fun facts, but we'll let you do the searching. And, but let's let's keep talking about this dopamine D2 because it's really interesting and it's interesting. A lot of you are interested in it from a nootropic standpoint because it will help with motivation and, and overall cognitive function and things like that. And it helps drop prolactin levels, which can be positive, especially when we are trying to enhance testosterone levels and we're trying to build muscle and we're trying to build muscle while not growing like flabby, fluffy uh, breast tissue. So... One thing you can actually take, it looks like, is apigenin, which we recently just released, which seems to be one pretty significant dopamine D2 agonist, which actually is a bit of a surprise to me. Um, I I noticed that there is like a, a smooth, stimulating, relaxing thing going on with apigenin. This seems to kind of be why. It, it acts as a dopamine D2 agonist. And there's actually a study that is showing chamomile syrup that has some level of apigenin in it is quite effective at lowering prolactin levels. And these researchers thought that this is likely from apigenin because apigenin is a dopamine D2 agonist. So this would be a really interesting compound to actually add to the the overall stack. So if you're taking Tangadali and you're taking Sustange, then maybe also consider adding some apigenin. And apigenin would be added specifically to address the prolactin issues that you might experience when taking Tongarili and Sustanche together so that you get the best benefits for uh, supporting your testosterone levels from Tongarili and Sustanche and you get less of the maybe the unwanted effects or the less than desirable effects by managing prolactin. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, testosterone, and we haven't really touched on this yet, testosterone is also an important one for libido. It's important for male and female libido. And especially later in age, it seems to be very important for f- uh, female libido. Especially uh, around menopause and perimenopause. Absolutely. So uh, actually a new strategy for uh, postmenopausal women who are having libido issues is actually to increase testosterone levels slightly. Um, but prolactin is also important for overall libido and um, achieving orgasm and ejaculation in men. So lowering prolactin levels in addition to increasing uh, testosterone levels could have a very broad spectrum libido enhancing effect. Wink, wink, if you get our drift. Yes. And actually, Prolactin is one of the things that prevents men from achieving multiple orgasms. So prolactin increases after an orgasm. So lowering prolactin might prevent some of that from happening too, for anyone who 
who's really going for the endurance thing. Okay, so let me get this straight. Lowering prolactin may have benefits for male orgasms with the potential to increase the chance that you could have multiple orgasms. Is that correct? Yes. And actually, I have heard um, through some of my research that I've been doing that in porn stars, taking a very strong dopamine D2 agonist is a very uh, popular thing to take before it shoots for this exact reason. Okay, this makes sense. And now we really have to implore you to go back and find that podcast about exotic dancers because we we just touched on the exotic dancers and the the benefits of this increase in dopamine D2 receptor uh, activity right before their menstruation because it was uh, basically allowing them to you know reach new heights with their performances. So this makes so much sense now that we're just diving headfirst into this hormonal conversation why porn stars would be taking these kinds of hormone supplements because it helps you perform. Absolutely. And and for someone who has to be on set for however many hours, this is an important thing to be able to maintain that ability. Yeah, the endurance demands are quite extreme. Yes. So uh, prolactin, and, and that's a very extreme case, and they are taking very strong uh, things that lower prolactin, and th- that's a whole other topic. But when we're looking at it in a more preventative or or more supportive thing with supplements then we for can... all of you out there who aren't porn stars yeah <laughs> and, and and if you are great maybe this will work well uh, so take some dongad cystange and apigenin because you'll get increases in the the good sex hormones like testosterone and you'll get lower levels of prolactin which might get in the way there Prolactin, by the way, also uh, seems to underlie some of the effects of um, PMS symptoms and some of the pain symptoms that women experience during menstruation and some of the mood issues that women experience during menstruation. So in that context, it is also beneficial to lower overall prolactin levels. So apigenin could work well there. That's exciting. And I think now that we're having this conversation, it's I'm going to put a little mental note for myself. Um just to explore and bioassay apigenin specifically for its benefits surrounding PMS, because I think this is something that we definitely want to talk about in some future podcasts. And I know for women out there who are curious, um, this is such an important and I think under underexplored topic just in general, especially with nootropics and supplements, but I'm excited about it. So I just had to add that in there. Yeah, it's actually a really good one. It's one I've been taking daily since we came out with it, and I took it a lot during beta testing too, of course, to make sure that the dosage was correct, and we we did go for quite a high dosage, which should actually make those prolactin effects much more pronounced as well. Um, But apigenin actually also has some mild um, pain management effects and a slightly muscle relaxant, so it would likely be a really good one to take during menstruation and during periods where you have uh, mood issues. Okay, this is good to know. But we've been talking a lot about sort of the the sexual and the erotic aspects of hormones and addressing hormones and, you know, changing and working with your hormones. But I know that there's a lot of people out there who are really curious about um, the benefits for your workouts and endurance just when it comes to muscle building and and this this world. So... 
are there any other points to touch on when it comes to the benefits that people can experience in their workouts from taking this stack of Tongadali and Sistanch and Apigenin? Yes. So when you increase testosterone levels, you increase protein synthesis. And when you increase protein synthesis, you get more muscle growth and you get stronger and your muscles look bigger and more toned. So this is one big aspect of testosterone supplements that people are often after. If you take them, you'll likely become stronger and more effective at the gym and you can reach your goals a little bit faster or maybe you can reach your goals in uh, a more sustainable way or and this is an an interesting thing actually uh, that was discussed on the Joe Rogan podcast too is you have longevity just like your your age longevity but then you also have performance longevity so even though you might live to 80 90 years old it might mean that you stop if you are a pro athlete that maybe around age 70 or something you become much less effective at at being that athlete and that's kind of the performance longevity and the idea being if you supplement with testosterone a little bit you can extend your performance longevity so that's an interesting thing too for some of our older listeners too is maintaining that performance longevity could be a very interesting thing with testosterone enhancing supplements but the main takeaway here being testosterone makes you stronger but it also increases your drive so it actually makes painful things feel more enjoyable and you want to do it and it's why young men oftentimes also participate a lot in extreme sports and i know i i'm high risk behavior we would say yeah and I have lots of injuries from skating back in the day um, because likely because I really wanted to push myself super hard and then when I got into college I started lifting weights and I got into powerlifting and Olympic lifting and really brutal stuff and really fun and and it felt really nice and this is likely also from testosterone. And the more you have, the more drive, the more aggression you have, the higher you will likely perform in the gym. So this is a a really good one. And this makes sense uh, because we all know that testosterone levels um, get lower with age um, in both men and women, but obviously the results and and the examples in men are a little more obvious. So for those of you um, who are interested in continuing to maintain your testosterone levels as you age, supplementing with Tongadali, Sistanch, and Apigenin uh, could be really effective for addressing this aspect of aging. Yeah, and actually to, to get to this aspect of aging a little bit deeper and also some other aspects of testosterone, one other thing that the older we get, the worse our sleep gets. And sleep is also very important for testosterone production and it's important for muscle protein synthesis and just overall recovery and this is where apigenin comes in so you can definitely take tongadali cystange and apigenin at the same time and it will have great effects and the prolactin effect will be there but another thing you could do is taking um, tongadali and cystange during the day and then taking apigenin at night because apigenin actually helps enhance sleep And this is another thing Andrew Huberman talks about. He's actually a big fan of apigenin for these sleep-promoting effects, and he stacks it together with magnesium threonate. Magnesium actually being a mineral that is important for overall testosterone synthesis as well. So taking some extra magnesium at night 
and some apigenin, and then he also recommends L-theanine, taking all of these together would have an additive effect to the increases in testosterone you will see with Tonga Ali and Sustange because you're also helping enhance sleep, but you also have these prolactin-lowering effects from apigenin, so that's very positive. But helping to enhance sleep is a good strategy. So we're kind of, as we go along in this podcast, we're actually putting together a bit of a stack. So we started with Tonga Ali. Now we're adding Sustange to it. Sustange also increases growth hormone, and growth hormone can also help with sleep and recovery. So it's all starting to flow into each other now. So we have Tongarelli, we have Sustange, now we have Apigenin, which you're taking at night. Now let's add some magnesium to that, because magnesium helps you sleep a little bit better. And magnesium is important for testosterone synthesis too. And now let's add one more factor. Let's add zinc. Zinc is another important mineral for uh, testosterone production. So we want some extra zinc. And zinc also, for most people, helps you sleep better. Not everyone, as we found out with our sleep support formula, which contains zinc. And this zinc actually kept some people up. So be careful there. Maybe beta test it once or twice and see how it impacts your sleep. And if it impacts your sleep positively, you could have a testosterone increasing sleep stack, which would be apigenin, magnesium, any any of our magnesiums. For, for me, for sleep, magnesium bisglycinate is actually one of my favorites. And then adding some apigenin to that. So this is really exciting and fascinating because I never thought about the fact that sleep supplements would have benefits for hormonal, you know, levels and just balance in general, but you can increase the effectiveness of your testosterone supplementation while you sleep with things that are just addressing other systems in the body. And I guess this is the part of of stacking that's always so exciting and fascinating to me is that um, these, these individual botanicals or these products they don't just have one singular effect, they have a multitude of effects. And when you put them together, when they work synergistically, and when you take them at specific times of day, you can get even more benefits out of them that are gonna help you during the daytime, during the nighttime, for your workouts, maybe in your relationships, and just in general. Yeah, and I would like to call this intelligent supplementation. Paying attention to what's happening, taking supplements at different times, and we're making blanket recommendations here for the average population, but you might find that apigenin works so much better for you during the day, which actually is the case for me. I love taking apigenin during the day. So I have a different sleep stack that I use, actually just our sleep stack, which I helped formulate. So that's the one I use. And that may actually also help enhance testosterone levels because it contains shilajit. This is something I wanted to touch on because a couple of you in your uh, Reddit questions were asking about um, testosterone supplementation outside of Tongarali and Sustanch and Fidoja, and Shilajit was one that I saw coming up uh, quite often. And Shilajit just in and of itself as a raw material is pretty fascinating because they call it rock sweat, which is like the coolest and strangest name I've ever heard. And uh, from my research, it's, it's organic material and fulvic acid, but I'm curious what kinds of, of benefits it has for testosterone. Emil, you're definitely going to have to give me the lowdown on this one. Yeah, and, and the rock sweat name is, is very apt because 
you have to go quite high into the Himalayan mountains. And, and there's also, I think, the Russian Caucasus Mountains. There, there's some Shilajit there too, under a different name. But Shilajit, if you're looking kind of in Himalayas, you have to go up quite high. And then when you're walking around and there's no sunshine, you won't necessarily find any Shilajit. But when sun is hitting the rocks, and especially in the summer when it's nice and hot, then the rocks start sweating. And it starts sweating this black, tarry ooze. And that ooze is what we call shilajit. And the interesting thing is, we don't really know what shilajit is. It's likely just fossilized plants that have been pressed under immense pressure under these rocks and heat over many, many years, thousands of years, maybe even millions of years, and it just oozes out and... Yeah, it contains high levels of fulvic acid, of humic acid, and uh, dibenzo-alpha-pyrones. And all of these kind of work together to do a lot of things. One of which is to increase cellular energy. It, it helps enhance uh, CoQ10 levels. But then another thing it does is it acts on some of these similar testosterone production enzymes. And by working on those enzymes, it can help support overall testosterone synthesis. It doesn't necessarily help increase testosterone like uh, Tonga Dali or Sistanche does, but it helps support uh, testosterone synthesis. So it is another good one, actually, to add into the overall stack with Sistanche and Tonga Dali. And if you were to add Shilajit along with this stack, what would be the what would be other benefits that you would experience from this, like beyond just the specific benefit of increasing these enzymes that help with testosterone production, what like perceptible mood or physical or, you know, uh, cognitive benefits would you experience? Well, you may get some more of those classic testosterone-like effects because hopefully if you are taking Shilajit in this context, then it would further help enhance testosterone production. But another thing that I personally really like about Shilajit is that it has a nice recovery benefit when you're exercising because it has a good oxidation and inflammation balancing effects. And furthermore, it helps enhance ATP synthesis because it helps enhance CoQ10 levels. It helps the recycling of CoQ10. And CoQ10 is a very important um, compound for enhancing ATP synthesis. And the more ATP we have, the more stronger the stronger our muscles can contract the more cellular energy we have so in the context of a performance enhancing stack this would be beneficial and actually if we're talking about atp and, and also going back to some of these androgens we should definitely talk about creatine because creatine is one of the most highly studied it has a ton of human high quality human clinical uh, data and it similar to shilajit, enhances cellular energy by enhancing ATP levels. And, and this is a fantastic way of increasing strength. But another thing that creatine does, it enhances dihydrotestosterone levels. Ooh, what's dihydrotestosterone? It's a, a different version, I guess, of testosterone with two uh, hydroxyl groups. But what happens is that the binding affinity for the androgen receptors that it acts on, similar to testosterone, goes up significantly. So dihydrotestosterone is a lot more potent than testosterone in terms of anabolism, building muscle and things like that. 
Creatine doesn't cause an enormous rise in DHT, but it causes a measurable rise in DHT, and this has been replicated in many different studies. So mostly the benefits you're getting from creatine are going to be the ATP synthesis effects, which is just going to give you more uh, cellular energy to contract those muscles, and that's what helps enhance the strength and things like that. Okay. But the DHT component of it then further enhances that anabolism effect that you're getting with uh, Tangadali boosting testosterone levels, and then you get a little bit of dihydrotestosterone in there as well. And actually, there's an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase, which takes or it converts testosterone into dihydrotestosterone. So this is an enzyme that comes up from time to time as well, because a lot of the mushrooms that we have actually inhibit this 5-AR enzyme. Which one in particular, or which ones in particular? Lion's mane, for example, does this. Uh, a lot of just culinary mushrooms do it, like brown mushrooms that you eat from the store. Those those are actually Shiitakes? quite... Shiitake? Shiitake, I'm not sure if it's a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, but a lot of the different mushrooms are. And for some people, this is a bit of a cause for concern because they want some more of these DHT levels around, so they want more of this conversion to take place, so they don't want to inhibit 5-alpha reductase. So, but that's how we produce most of our dihydrotestosterone. It's through this enzyme. And on the flip side, dihydrotestosterone can act on uh, androgen receptors by our hair follicles. And when they get stimulated, it actually stimulates some hair loss. So I was just going to say, we see this question come up sometimes on Reddit um, and in emails about uh, whether certain testosterone boosting products will actually prevent DHT from being produced, or I'm getting that mixed up, testosterone-boosting supplements will increase DHT production, which could cause some hair loss. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Uh, If you have more testosterone around, then there's more conversion happening to dihydrotestosterone because we need testosterone in that step. So the more testosterone is available, technically the more DHT we can have around but honestly, the increases we're seeing with Tongat and Sistange are likely not enough to cause massive increases in DHT, which could then lend to uh, balding. Gotcha. How uh, about with creatine? W- with creatine, it's, it's the same thing. This really, if you look at the, the IFBB Pro, I think that's what it's called, the, the Pro League bodybuilding, the Mr. Universe guys, they're all huge and they're all bald. And there's a good reason <laughs> for that which we can't really get into here, but it's related to DHT. We're not seeing those kind of DHT increases with things like creatine, and um, if we're enhancing testosterone levels, we're not necessarily seeing that. So that's not something I would necessarily be worried about, but having that extra little bit of DHT production in there from creatine together with something like Tonga Dali could really help just dial in that last little bit of extra performance. And there's a lot of human data that shows that it's really effective. Plus, it's an interesting nootropic, and we can get into creatine at some point, because... Maybe on a future podcast. Yeah, it's always overlooked, and it's one of the most highly researched compounds around. So it would be really cool to dive into that a little bit more, because I just recently started taking creatine again. I would kind of forgotten about it for a while, and then I realized, hey, I should be taking creatine again once we started working on this podcast. And I really do like the effects of it. What do you find are the most standout effects of creatine? 
For me, I seem to have a, a bit of an issue maybe maintaining ATP levels uh, consistently. So things that help enhance ATP production are really beneficial to me, which is part of the reason why I take CoQ10 every day. When taking creatine, I get a little bit more of those effects. I have a little bit more energy overall, and I seem to be less prone to getting headaches, which is something that CoQ10 helps me with as well, and I think my headaches are related to ATP production. So taking creatine really helps me there, and it helps me cognitively, but it also just helps me with overall physical energy. And a really interesting thing is, and this is something that's all, often taken out of context because people are mega dosing creatine and then cycling it so when you do that and you take like 25 grams of creatine a day at the start of the cycle you start to maintain a lot of uh, water in your cells but this is a really positive thing actually that creatine does and in normal doses it allows your cells to stay better hydrated which for us living in the desert and especially with the summer approaching creatine is a really nice one that i take during the summers because it helps my cells retain more water so i drink a little bit more water and then my cells can retain some more of that water too which might help with electrolyte balance and things like that too i never even considered the benefit of creatine just in terms of maintaining hydration uh, because when i was first introduced to creatine it was um, around the time that I was in college and some guys I knew were super, super into creatine. That was like the first supplement they were taking because they were really into weightlifting and going to the gym every day. And I remember them complaining about how they were putting on so much water weight with this creatine and oh, it was such a big issue, even though it was really helping them with their workouts. And I never really understood why that was, but I remember that was like a big topic of conversation was, was the water weight related to creatine. But at this point, now thinking about it in terms of the summer coming up in this super hot desert where we live, that's not a bad idea to start supplementing creatine for hydration purposes. Absolutely. And honestly, with a lot of these young guys, uh, they want like steroid-like effects and, and they think, I'm young, I've got a lot of testosterone, I'm a protein synthesis machine, I'm just going to take some large, large doses of creatine and get really significant effects really quickly, which is why creatine is often cycled, which I think is kind of inappropriate uh, given what it actually does in the body. So people will take maybe 25 grams a day, maybe even twice a day for the first week, and then they will drop down to a maintenance dose of five grams a day. But if you just take five grams a day, you don't get this crazy initial bloating stage where a lot of water is being maintained in your cells. And if you just regularly take five grams, you will just help promote overall cellular hydration, which if you live in a hot and dry climate is a really good thing during the summers. Good to know. So it sounds like we have a pretty well-rounded idea of what to stack with Tongata Lee. Um, Tongata Lee being our centerpiece, so to speak, and then Sistange being a really, really great option to stack with Tongata Lee. Um, Shilajit also sounds like a great addition to this sort of daily testosterone supplementation as well as creatine. So that sounds like a really nice well-rounded way of approaching testosterone supplementation to benefit mood and motivation and energy and you know hopefully give you a little bit more of an edge and a little bit more drive um, when it comes to your time in the gym, perhaps, you know, your time in your, your special time in your relationships. And generally speaking, I've found such great results from 
taking Tangarali the past couple of days. So I'm curious what it would be like to just stick with a simple, a simplified testosterone supplementation stack just for myself. Yeah, and, and I've noticed very similar effects too over the last couple of years experimenting with some of these testosterone enhancing stacks. They're really beneficial. I feel like I recover a lot quicker. I have a lot more physical capabilities. I just feel stronger overall, which is really nice. Probably yeah. a result of building strength, but also building confidence too. Absolutely, yeah. So they all go together hand in hand. I think this is a perfect segue to one of our fun segments that we use to break up the In Search of Insight podcast, which is new product releases. So every month in In Search of Insight, we go over new products that Nootropics Depot has released since the last podcast episode. And this month we have a handful of super exciting products. The first one we're going to start with is a product that I really love, the taste and the feel and the effects of. It's a new solution that we have out. It is our Holy Basil Supercritical CO2 solution. Emil, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this solution and who should consider adding this to their daily stack. Well, I actually think you were the inspiration for this one, at least for me. Um, a few years ago, you had given me a cup of Tulsi tea and I really liked the taste of it and you were really excited about the taste of it, which is why you let me try some of it. And then we both noticed some interesting effects too. So then a few years went by and we were looking for some holy basil products, but all of it seemed somewhat uninteresting. And then we crossed paths with this supercritical CO2 holy basil extract. And for those unfamiliar with what supercritical CO2 extraction is, basically CO2 can exist in a few different forms or phases. A gaseous phase, which we're quite familiar with and we're quite familiar with that gaseous phase dissolved inside of uh, beverages, sparkling water, sodas, and things like that. That's gaseous CO2 in there. CO2 can also exist as a solid, dry ice, if you've ever played around with that. And then under very specific conditions of pressure and temperature, it can exist as a sort of liquid. And that's what we're working with here. So we take this liquid and it has really good properties for extracting certain botanicals. So we take this liquid, liquid CO2, and we force it through holy basil leaves. And then what comes out is this really strong terpene-rich extract. So two of the things that we standardize for in the holy basil extract are eugenol, which is a terpene, and caryophyllene, which is a terpene. And is actually also found in one of our other products, uh, Refl, which is a beta-caryophyllene product. And if I'm remembering correctly, eugenol is also the property within cloves that causes a numbing feeling in your mouth. Correct. And, and you'll notice a bit of a numbing feeling if you do it sublingually uh, with the solution, which is actually one of the ways I like taking it. So basically the solution, we take this really potent, supercritical CO2 extract and we dilute it a little bit with olive oil. It mellows out the taste a little bit too in the solution and makes it a little bit easier to dose out because of, of its potency. But this is a really interesting one if you're looking for calming effects that also have pain management effects. So similar to Refl, Refl, one of the main effects is for pain. 
and it's achieving this through its karyophyllin content. So karyophyllin actually is a CB2 cannabinoid receptor agonist, and that's where it produces some of its pain management effects through. And the karyophyllin in holy basil extract does a very similar thing. But karyophyllin also has a nice mood enhancing effect. It uh, is good for controlling inflammation and things like that. So that's a really nice component to have in there. But when you link it up with eugenol, it further enhances the pain management effects of karyophyllin. But in addition to this, eugenol also has a really interesting effect on balancing the HPA axis, which is part of the uh, mechanism that controls stress, stress levels, and, and the effects that we experience from stress. So eugenol has a very nice stress management effect. And together with the uh, pain management and mood elevating effects of karyophyllin, it makes a really nice combination. And one of the nice things about it is if you do use it sublingually, it kicks in really quickly. And I recently, uh, actually two days ago, I recommended it to a colleague who was having some issues with uh, nervousness and she was a little bit on edge. She was trying out the holy basil and it was really helping calm her down. But then she also told me that she was having some back pain and the back pain started to ebb away, which was a surprise for her and something I didn't necessarily tell her about because we were mostly focusing on the calming effects, but then I realized, yeah, it, it is a very good pain management effect. And even though I didn't tell my colleague exactly that it had a pain management effect, she noticed this effect herself and it was quite prominent. That's really exciting. So uh, you mentioned early on that the inspiration for the holy basil uh, supercritical CO2 solution was from that cup of holy basil uh, Tulsi tea that I had. Uh, Trader Joe's was, was supplying it for some period of time. I just love the taste so much, but now it's really cool to see this product come to life. And I really love the taste of it. Um, I think it's one of my favorite solutions and one of my favorite Nootropics Depot products just because it just has so much character to it in the flavor, but also in the calming effects. And I noticed those too. So Thanks for giving us a really comprehensive understanding of, of what it's doing and where it comes from and, and what its intentions are. Um, moving on to our next new product release, uh, since the last podcast episode, we have released L-pyroglutamic acid powder. And this is an exciting one for a lot of reasons, but Emil, give us just a couple of reasons why this product was added to our offerings and what it's doing in the body. One of the main reasons why we started carrying this, I actually can't really talk about, but you guys figured it out on Reddit already. Uh, I'll just say that L-pyroglutamic acid contains a pyrolidone-based structure. And for those who've been around Nootropics for a long time, you'll know exactly what that means, and you'll know exactly why we came out with this product. And it does exactly what it's intended. It has a very nice nootropic effect. Uh, and, but it is a naturally occurring amino acid, which is really interesting, and it's usually in our body, and, and we actually need quite a bit of it too. But if you take it as a supplement, then you can further enhance these nootropic activities of this already endogenously existing amino acid. And you can get nootropic effects that are very similar to one of the most popular class of nootropics, which, again, we cannot mention a name of, but you are all probably smart enough to figure it out for yourselves. Thank you for that. Uh, very well navigated. So moving on to our next new product release, we've released Nobleton capsules. And I'm not super familiar with um, Nobleton 
and what its effects are and where it comes from. So will you give me just kind of a background on Noble Eaton, what it is and what it's doing? Yeah, uh, Noble Eaton is found in various citrus fruits and actually ours is extracted from citrus orantium, which is a bitter orange. And in fact, a lot of our flavonoid type products are extracted from citrus orantium. So another new product that we'll touch on in a second, apigenin is also extracted from citrus orantium and hesperidin, which we've had for a while, is also extracted from citrus orantium. And then Noble Eaton is just one of those other very interesting flavonoids. To get more into its effects, one of the most interesting effects is that it is an ampireceptor agonist, which again, if you have been around nootropics for a while, you probably this probably rings a bit of a bell, and enhancing AMPA activity is a really good way to enhance long-term potentiation. So LTP, basically memory formation. So again, nobleton is a very interesting natural nootropic. In addition to that though, and this is where it's gathered a lot of attention recently is that it may help enhance sleep, which has confused some people because the AMPA effects also cause stimulating effects. And in my experience and in a lot of people's experience, nobleton is in fact stimulating. So seems kind of odd that it would enhance sleep, right? But the interesting thing is it helps enhance circadian rhythms. So it gets our circadian rhythms into a better groove, basically, which helps us sleep better. And it means that you can take this earlier on in the day and it will help enhance your overall circadian rhythm over time, which will then help enhance sleep quality. And some customers have actually tried this strategy for a while and it does seem to actually enhance sleep quality. And it would work in a somewhat similar way to melatonin because that's one of the things melatonin does too. It helps control our circadian rhythms. And nobleton does a somewhat similar thing through some different mechanisms. So very interesting if you're looking for nootropic long-term potentiation type effects, but also interesting if you're looking to help enhance sleep quality through a really novel and different pathway. I was just going to ask, it sounds like a different pathway than um, the pathways for sleep support from our sleep support stack from Natrium Health. Yes, absolutely. Those real sleep stacks are more uh, designed to kind of slow brain activity a little bit uh, by increasing GABA activation. So GABA is one of the main uh, inhibitory neurotransmitters, and it basically decreases neurological activity a little bit, which is nice for getting to sleep. So that's why a lot of sleep products contain GABAergic compounds like lemon balm or magnolia bark or uh, oleamide. And you'll find all of those actually in sleep support. But sleep support is really designed to help get you to sleep and keep you asleep, but it's not necessarily designed to help optimize your circadian rhythm unless you put in the you can uh, order a sidecar of little melatonin capsules with sleep support, and then it gets that circadian rhythm effect there a little bit more. But you could, for example, take sleep support at night and then no bleeding during the day, help enhance your circadian rhythms, and then put yourself to sleep with sleep support if you have difficulties with that. That's really cool. Um, you know, sometimes I just get on this train where I'm thinking, I want to stack for everything. And so I was thinking, okay, what could what could we stack with uh, Nobleton to get the best sleep benefits? And sleep support was my first thought. So I like the idea that if you really want to take a very targeted and specific approach to um, improving sleep quality and, and 
you know, working with supporting your circadian rhythms, nobilitin might be a nice thing to add to take during the day that will help you throughout the day and throughout the sleeping night. And another interesting thing about it is one of my design goals for sleep support was that not only would it help you get to sleep and stay asleep and enhance sleep quality, it would also have certain nootropics in there like bacopa and uridine, which while you sleep are enhancing neuroplasticity and enhancing memory function. So sleep support is really like an overall nootropic stack, helping you sleep better, but then also enhancing neuroplasticity. And nobilitin, through its activity as an AMPA agonist, also has quite significant nootropic activity. So actually, taking nobilitin during the day and then sleep support at night, even if that was the only thing in your stack, would make for a really good foundation of enhancing overall cognitive function. That's amazing. I love that. I'm actually really excited to try that. I might have to uh, wait and space out my different tests with, you know, the, the sort of full spectrum um, testosterone stack and then the uh, extra op- optimized sleep stack. Uh, but let's move on to our next new product. Uh, we released a powder version of NMN or nicotinamide mononucleotide. Emil, tell us a little bit about this powder and maybe you can also answer some questions related to uh the concerns that people bring to us about the bioavailability of NMN in powder form, because previously we've carried this in tablet form, and there's a really specific reason why we came up with the powder. But this big question of how bioavailable is NMN comes up all the time, and I think it's important to address as we talk about this new product. Yeah, and let's talk about these tablets first then. So they're not just tablets, they are enteric-coated tablets, which means that the coating will not dissolve in your stomach acid. And then once it has passed your stomach acid and it's in uh, your intestinal fluid and floating around in your intestines, then the coating starts to dissolve and then you get NMN release in the intestines. We did this for a variety of reasons when we first came out with NMN. The first being, it was kind of unclear whether or not NMN would be stable at room temperature as a powder. Uh, one of the reasons for this was that our suppliers were stressing that we needed to store this material at minus 20 degrees Celsius and there was no way we could get around this. So we kind of went along with this for a little while. We found some data that might indicate, yeah, maybe NMN isn't that stable. So we went along with it. But as time went on, we got more and more suspicious of this actually being the case. And we looked around a little bit more and and we looked at some of our older stock and and we realized the stability issue really doesn't seem to be that big of a deal actually so that's one of the reasons why we finally cracked and said okay well we can do the powder because we are more confident in the fact that it will stay stable even in powder form and not in a enteric coated tablet so so we do carry the the nmn tablets that are enteric coated but yeah. now the new product that we've introduced and released is the NMN powder. Yeah, and going a little bit further with the tablets still, so we pressed the tablets because that would allow less oxygen to get in so it would be more stable, and then we put an enteric coating around it, which would then prevent even more oxygen from getting in and interacting with the NMN. So this was kind of one of our stability uh, steps. And then another step in this was that 
there are specific transporters in your intestines that can transport NMN into your serum. So we didn't want to release the NMN in the stomach, we wanted it to release in the intestines so it would have a more targeted way of being taken up. So that's one of our ways in which to increase bioavailability. One issue there though is that not everyone can seems to be able to digest this uh, enteric coating. So some people were actually pooping out entire NMN tablets, which is not good because you do want them to dissolve before you poop them out. And people were finding entire enteric coated tablets in their, in their stool, which is kind of interesting. We haven't really figured out exactly why. Uh, we have a, a method actually of testing whether a capsule is, or a tablet is truly enteric coating. So we have a machine that simulates uh, stomach fluid and it simulates the temperature and the movements in, in the stomach. And we do that for about four hours. And then we take those tablets out, look at their integrity and see, are they still uh, fully intact? And if they are, then that means it's past our first test. And it means there's an actual real enteric coating there. And then we take the tablet and we put it in simulated intestinal fluid. And again, similar movements and temperature and pH levels and enzymes and things like that. And then we put the tablets in there and see if once it hits the simulated intestinal fluid that it will immediately dissolve. And our enteric coated tablets always adhere to this. This is part of our testing. So we know that they work, but some individuals don't seem to have this normal activity of their stomach acid and, and gastric or intestinal fluid to strip off the enteric coating and have it dissolve. So, and, and there were quite a few people with this issue. So that's one of the reasons why we considered the capsules as well, because then these individuals could take the, a, a different form that would actually dissolve and give them some NMN, even though it's not entirely optimized. So let's move on now to the powder. Um, why should people take the powder even with this, uh, this concern of bioavailability. So, and this is something we've talked about a few times on Reddit now. We get the question often about how bioavailable is something, which you can put a nice number on that and say, oh, it's 20% bioavailable or whatever. But at the end of the day, we can account for this bioavailability issue in a few different ways. One of which is an enteric coating, if we, as we've just discussed. Another way is just to dose it higher. If the raw material cost allows for it. So some raw materials are just so expensive you can't really dose them high enough and then you have to figure out different ways to make them more bioavailable. For NMN, we're kind of in the sweet spot where it's not the cheapest material on the planet, but it's still cheap enough where you can take a higher dose. So basically, our solution, our first solution was an enteric coating. Our second solution is just a higher dose. So we of have NMN powder. of NMN powder and of the capsules because the same NMN powder is in the capsules. There's absolutely no difference between the capsules and the powder except for the dosage form. So when we're talking about the powder and the capsules, we can just talk about them in, in the same breath. Kind sure. Of. So the dosage on the NMN and terracotta tablets is 125 milligrams and the dosage on the capsules and the powder is 250 milligrams. And putting something in a capsule or in a tablet costs us money, which means that we have to charge more money for these products. A powder, we don't have to do that. So powders are always going to be cheaper. So Makes sense. 
for people who have scales and who want to experiment with higher doses of NMN, the powder is perfect because it is the cheapest way you can get NMN from us. Properly lab tested and everything. It's super high quality. But then you can choose your own dose. And if you want to say take 500 milligrams with the enteric-coated tablets, this would have been too expensive and really wouldn't have been necessary because you are getting so much uh, better absorption with this enteric coating. Or we don't have specific data for it, but theoretically it should give you much better absorption because it's releasing around specific NMN transporters, which when it releases in the stomach, you don't necessarily get the specificity and stomach acid might degrade some of the NMN before it can get into the intestines. But again, it's so much cheaper that taking a higher dose just works a lot better. And this is where the powder is for. For people who don't want to necessarily take an enteric coated tablet or can take an enteric coated tablet or just want to try out something different or higher doses, the NMN powder is perfect in addition to the capsules. Cool. Thanks for that. I think it's really helpful for everybody to hear just the the details and the process and the reason why we came out with this powder, especially because this has been a big question for us on Reddit and in emails. So hopefully that answered some of your questions and also got you thinking about potentially trying out NMN powder um, instead of tablets if, if perhaps uh, you pass them quickly. So now we're going to move on to two of my favorite new releases of the last month. Uh, the first one being ginger extract capsules. Uh, I really love ginger extract capsules. I find that they really help with my morning jitters, uh, just that I get naturally, even without taking caffeine. Um, I can be very chipper in the morning, but sometimes the chipperness turns into feelings of nausea. And I find that ginger capsules really help me to maintain a sense of calm and feel a little more grounded, especially when I take them first thing in the morning. And I have a very similar experience with them because I can sometimes my stomach is not entirely happy when I wake up, whether that is some slight uh, jitteriness that I experience in the morning. Maybe or too many peppers the night before. Maybe I yeah did some crazy culinary experiments the night before. Whatever it is, I like taking ginger pretty much as soon as I wake up because it helps. Like my stomach just feels a little bit better, even though I don't necessarily have any stomach issues. My stomach just feels soothe it when I take ginger. In addition to, I do think it has some interesting cognitive and mood effects and it's good for um, inflammation and it also seems to be helping with some of my seasonal allergies. So that's something I'm very excited about. Absolutely. And then last but very not least is apigenin capsules and powder, which there's a lot of hype about right now on the internet. Um, Andrew Huberman has talked about apigenin and a lot of other people in the in the nootropics community are talking about apigenin and its benefits so emil tell us what it is where it comes from and why we should all be really excited about this new product release yeah apigenin is one of the main active compounds in chamomile so if you've ever had chamomile tea and you like the relaxing effects part of this is likely because of apigenin of course, there's also some other terpenes in there which have calming effects, but apigenin seems to be a bit of a star player there. We have taken apigenin and purified it to a very high level, so pretty much just pure apigenin. 
and we were going through a lot of different research and Andrew Huberman actually he suggests 50 milligrams which I think is a is a good dose as well and a lot of different people seem to be doing 50 milligrams but when we were crawling through the research it seemed like higher doses were actually a lot more beneficial um, and have been studied in animal and some human trials as well so we decided to just go with the slightly higher dose uh, well slightly higher four times higher we went with 200 milligrams for our capsules and when you take this 200 milligrams you get fairly significant calming effects uh, coupled with some mild muscle relaxation which is really nice but as we talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast apigenin is also a good dopamine d2 agonist so it actually gives you a little bit of focus and a little bit more executive function you're a little bit more focused and motivated in addition to having this strong uh, relaxing effect so in a sense it's somewhat similar to caffeine L-theanine capsules where you have this stimulating component and then this calming component that are working really well hand in hand. Except this is doing that same or similar effect but just from one bioactive compound. Yes, absolutely. And I've been testing it out on myself and I really like it. I've been taking it every week for the last uh, two weeks or every day for the last two weeks. I think, Erica, you've been taking it pretty regularly, too. I have, and I've been uh, including it in my daily stack. So, um, to be honest, I am feeling a lot more calm, but I do take a lot of different uh, supplements on a daily basis. So, but if I were to give... does it make you tired? A, no, definitely doesn't make me tired. Um, I and, really and like the addition. that's a really good thing. Yeah, I really like the addition with, with the other sort of um, stress management supplements that I take in my daily stack. Uh, if I were to give... If I were asked to give a really specific description of the effects in terms of the sensation or how it feels, I would want to take it just by itself um, with no other supplements interacting, uh, which is something that I'll probably do maybe on an off day coming up. Uh, But I really like the addition with my whole stack and with ginger. It's like a double punch in the face of a freak out or a nauseous or a jittery moment. And I think it's a really great addition for anyone who loves Panamax or anybody who likes uh, caffeine L-theanine, like Emil was saying, um, this could be a fun new product to try. Uh, maybe you want to combine it with your with your stress management stack, or perhaps you might want to try something new just for fun to see. And interestingly enough, and one of the reasons why Andrew Huberman recommends apigenin is because of its sleep benefits. And even though it is... Uh, we're calling it stimulating. It's not necessarily stimulating. It's more focus enhancing. It, it's not necessarily a wakefulness type effect. So you can actually take this before bed as well and it will inha- help enhance sleep quality. And one way in which I actually like taking apigenin and one reason why I asked Erica earlier, does it make you tired, is a lot of calming supplements also have the sometimes it's desired and sometimes not but it it can make you tired and I'm always a big fan of calming things that have a mood enhancing component and that don't produce much lethargy and apigenin is one of those and with those kind of compounds I like to take it after work to relax instead of drinking a beer or something after work I'll just take some apigenin and have this nice relaxed yet uplifted feeling that allows me to really relax and read a book or watch a movie or play a game or something and just really 
relax and prepare myself for the next day and prepare myself for bed. Something like Apigen is really nice. This makes me think that I want to compare uh, my favorite calming supplement, Sebule Sage, with Apigen and to see what the difference is. Uh, Because I definitely don't feel um, particularly stimulated by Sage, although... It's certainly a mood booster for sure, but I'd be curious to just compare them side by side uh, because I have a feeling that I might notice some interesting effects and differences between the two because Sage is kind of my my go-to when it comes to like time to wind down or time to relax, time to time to let go, um, even though Avagenin sounds like it's offering some of these similar effects and maybe a little bit more stimulation, not quite as intensely calming as Sibelius Sage. Yeah, and for me, I might actually compare it or might even stack it, and that's something you can consider too, stacking apigenin and Sibelius sage. And for me, I would want to compare uh, the apigenin versus the kava, which is one of my other favorite, like, after-work, relaxing, read-a-book type of supplements is mm. kava. And I actually think that combining apigenin with kava would further round out the effects and might actually be really nice. But I'm actually curious to compare them too. And actually, uh, another report of one of our colleagues taking one of these things. Yesterday, actually, I gave one of my colleagues some apigenin, and she took it this morning, and she reported really nice effect. Right around 45 minutes, it kicked in, and it gave her a nice focused feeling without making her jittery, which is something she often has issues with, so she can't really take caffeine. Even something like caffeine L-theanine might be a little bit too much for her at times, but... Apigenin was one of those things that gave her a nice boost in focus and relaxation that helped her really get into her work. So that's exciting. So maybe for people who are extra sensitive to caffeine um, or, you know, for all of you out there who are tea drinkers, you're probably familiar with chamomile tea. But perhaps apigenin is a good option for you um, rather than caffeine on a daily basis or maybe alongside your manageable caffeine doses from tea. Take some apigenin. And it could have some nice kind of lifting effects early on in your day. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, I'm really excited about all of these new products that we've released uh, over the last month. So if you're curious to check them out, you can visit our website and go to uh, new product releases. We have a tab in our menu uh, with all of these products featured. And now we're going to move on into dun 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 the absolute best part of the podcast which is answering your questions from reddit we got a lot this time absolutely every single month before we release uh our new podcast episode we tell you what the topic is and we ask you for your questions because we want to know what you're curious about when it comes to testosterone testosterone supplementation um testosterone management stacking advice dosing cycling the whole lot and boy you really delivered a lot of questions so thank you so much for your participation we're going to continue asking for your questions in all future episodes of in search of insight so don't stop them from coming let's jump right into it let's start with questions about stacking for testosterone support our first question comes from r sod dirty two very interesting username and i'm going to paraphrase this question a little bit so the question is, what supplements should I stack with Tongarali for maximum testosterone support? For example, Shilajit, Sistanch, etc. And how much of these other supplements should I add 
along with my Tongata Lee for a great testosterone supplementing support stack. I guess we've already kind of answered this question throughout the podcast. So one of them is Shilajit, which we talked about in depth a little bit more. Another one being Sustanche, of course. So uh, my ideal Tongat stack would be Tongat. For me, the 2%. I like the 2% more. I know there's a lot of division there. Erica likes the 10% more. I know most people in the office like the 10% more. For some reason, I like the 2%. So for, for my ideal stack, it would be the Tongat 2%. It would be the Sustanche. It would be Apigenin. Shilajit, maybe Shodan if I'm having some issues with uh, stress because Shodan can help with stress management but it may also help with testosterone synthesis. Similar to Shilajit helps enhance some testosterone synthesis by enhancing the enzymes that produce testosterone. Then on top of that I would also add some creatine like we talked about. Get some of those DHT benefits, some more uh, ATP synthesis benefits, and I think that would make a very good strength stack. So to kind of summarize, Tongadali, Sistange, Creatine, Apigenin, Shodan, perhaps. And in terms of doses, just follow our dosing recommendation. We spend a lot of time figuring out exactly what to dose it at, so this is the best information you're going to get. Just stick with our doses, and if you feel like you want to take a different dose, then you have to uh, look at different dosage levels for that will work with you, and do some research on it, and, and try it out yourself, and see what doses work best. But for the general population, we feel that our dosing recommendations are very applicable to most people. Awesome. And then our next question comes from G-H-J-K-P-I-U-Y-N. I really don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to spell it for you. And their question is not exactly testosterone related, but can you talk about supplements that would stack well with those two, similar to our earlier question? But they're saying, for example, epicatechin, which is part of your strength and muscle mass stack, and that's not something we've talked about yet in this podcast. Yeah, and epicatechin is a uh, myostatin inhibitor, myostatin being something that may limit muscle growth so if you inhibit myostatin you potentially get more muscle growth and some really famous examples of this happening genetically are with certain animals that have their myostatin knocked down i think i think i know what you're about to say yeah the belgian blue cows yes uh, the super buff cows that have the most amazing looking muscles yeah bodybuilder cows, cows. <laughs> and then i think i've maybe seen a dog that had a myostatin deficiency that was really just ripped to shreds and then uh, I think there's a type of horse as well that has uh, low myostatin activity and they're also super shredded so ideally we would see some of these effects in humans too and a lot of people do seem to have success with epicatechin so epicatechin would stack well as an uh, anabolic aid so something that would help speed up muscle protein synthesis and help you get bigger and stronger without necessarily interacting with testosterone. And because of this, it will probably be synergistic with testosterone enhancement strategies. So that's actually a really cool one. Great take. idea yeah. in a question form. Yeah, exactly. And uh, something like creatine is not exactly elevating testosterone. It, it's elevating DHT to a certain degree, fairly small degree, I think. But then the ATP effects, the phosphocreatine to ATP effects, 
would really help with overall strength and endurance and things like that. So that would be another good one to take alongside Tongat. Uh, I think apigenin is a great one like we've talked about because of its prolactin lowering effects and it may help a little bit with uh, recovery and things like that. Speaking of recovery, and we'll have to go back to our first podcast ever, Tongat Ali would also stack really well with tart cherry. And actually, Tongat Ali helps excrete some uric acid as well, which is one of the main reasons why tart cherry has uh, such good benefits overall on muscle recovery is because it uh, lowers uric acid levels. So Tongat Ali is doing a similar thing, and they might stack well because of that for enhanced recovery. Super cool. Uh, and then another question we have about stacking with Tongat Ali. This comes from Zen Zen. And the question is, any reason not to combine Tongat Ali and Sistanj? If so, what kind of cycle would be best? And also curious about claims regarding fat loss with Tongat Ali. I honestly don't really see a reason not to combine the two. I think they go really well together. One thing to consider is maybe how you approach it. So the way I do it is I take Sistanj every day. And then when I add Tongat Ali on top of that daily stack, I notice a very profound impact from the Tongat Ali. Something that I didn't necessarily notice when I was just taking Tongat Ali by itself long term. So it seems like taking Sistanj is kind of priming my system for the effects of Tongat Ali, which makes sense because one of the things Sistanj does is it elevates luteinizing hormone levels. And luteinizing hormone levels then also likely increase the density of Leydig cells, which means there are more Leydig cells available for testosterone production, which means that when I add Tongat Ali in there, which stimulates these Leydig cells to actually make more testosterone, then because there are more Leydig cells around, I get a greater response when I'm taking Sistanj regularly and then when I need like a little bit of a nitrous boost, you know, like in those old car racing games, then I take some Tongat Ali and really push my performance to the next level. Nice. I like that example you used. Oh, yeah. And then fat loss. So yes, uh, let's talk about that a little bit, too. I don't think Tongat Ali necessarily would help specifically with fat loss. I think there are some metabolic health uh, benefits to it, but it's not going to be a really strong fat loss agent. In fact, not a whole lot of things are really strong fat loss agents. You have to lose that fat through diet and exercise. But one thing, when you are limiting your calories, then you are also at risk of not only losing fat, but also muscle. So that is where Tongat Ali comes in. So if you want to lose fat weight or just overall weight, but you want to maintain your muscle mass, having some extra testosterone around is really good for that. So you can maintain that muscle mass because of the extra testosterone while you're losing weight. So it's not necessarily going to help you lose weight, but it's going to help how you lose weight. I like that. A little bit more nuanced. Yeah. And now another question about another uh, product that we haven't mentioned to stack with Tongadali. This question comes from Chris106. And the question is, is cordyceps on that list, the list of what to stack with Tongadali? Especially if the 1 to 1 or the 10 to 1 extract would be best suited in combination with Tongadali and or Sistanj. Yeah, cordyceps would be another really good one. Uh, it seems to have some maybe minor testosterone elevating effects. It definitely does seem to have libido enhancing effects, which would go well with the libido enhancing effects of Tongadali. So 
for that purpose it would be a good stack but cordyceps of course helps enhance physical endurance and physical strength too so for that aspect if we're again going a little bit loose from the testosterone thing and seeing other things that would stack well with tongan something like cordyceps would be perfect because it's going to help enhance your stamina and your endurance whether that's you know in the gym or even in the bedroom it might help too so that I think would be a really good one and then in terms of one-to-one versus the ten-to-one I personally really prefer the ten-to-one cordyceps because it has a lot more of a endurance enhancing almost stimulating mood enhancing feeling and it's very distinct whereas the one-to-one is nice but it isn't as distinct and it's better as kind of a daily thing to help elevate your overall energy levels and get all of the immune promoting effects from the mushrooms which cordyceps does as well but if you really want to go more for those physical energy endurance kind of benefits go with the 10 to 1 ideally get both of them in smaller sizes so you can compare and contrast maybe you can even stack them together but if you were to just go with one get the 10 to 1 to stack with the tongue alley because i think it will be a very uh, interesting effect and i think actually if you were to take the 10% Tonganali with the cordyceps 10 to 1, you would get a very almost like aggressive energy, which would be really good for in the gym. Nice. So almost like a stack that could mimic perhaps uh, a pre-workout feeling, even though it's not taking that same exact approach. Definitely. Super cool. Okay. And now one more question in the realm of stacking. Arctic Platypus asks... It would be great to see research-based and anecdotally-based discussion of cycling protocols for both Tangarali and Sustanj, and maybe Shilajit as well. Like if five days on and two days off is good for Tangat, and how many testosterone-boosting supplements are safe to take simultaneously. Also would be cool to see a discussion on the importance of specific vitamins and minerals in the production of testosterone, such as vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, and maybe boron. Really great question. Yeah, and the cycling thing is difficult. So the cycling thing comes from more of these uh, risk-taking bodybuilders that are taking substances that, if you don't cycle off of them, might literally kill you. So to me, it seems like they are kind of riding the line of what's possible, and to make sure that they have a somewhat longer lifespan these people will cycle on and off of these really strong compounds that help enhance muscle growth and and things like that. But basically, there isn't a serious need to cycle off of these things. But this same concept has kind of bled into the supplement and bodybuilding industry for people not going that route and going more with supplements. and Natural supplements. Natural supplements. And like we talked about earlier with creatine, This is also a popular thing to do with creatine. Take these massive doses and then drop your levels and then stop it after a while because you think taking these huge doses of creatine might not be safe, but it's getting the maximum amount of benefits in the shortest amount of time. So let's just blast it and then cycle off to save ourselves. So what you're getting at is, uh, I think, at a, a point in conversation that we talked about at length in our January podcast, which was about bioassaying and mindfulness. We had a long conversation about cycling, but I'm going to let you take it away and discuss why it's valuable to take a, a, a normal, you know, more manageable dose of testosterone supplements 
on a daily basis, long-term, rather than taking these mega doses, expecting crazy, uh, super intense results right away. And give us a little bit of a backstory on that in terms of testosterone supplementation, because I know that the hormone conversation and concerns about um, changing hormones and, and hormones being affected can get kind of sensitive. So it makes sense that you're asking this question. Take it away. Yeah, and we want to do things subtly. And that's that's the name of the game here. And that's what we do with supplements. We are trying to promote health in a long-term vision. We are looking far into the future. We don't want results in a week. We want results 10 years from now that are still the same as the time we started taking it. And this is something with creatine. If you were to take five grams of creatine every day, you could take it for the rest of your life and you would have these creatine benefits always, not in these haphazard, maybe dangerous cycles. So my advice would be start low and slow, keep it nice and steady. And with something like Tonga Deli, it is quite potent, but at the same time, it's helping enhance testosterone production in a fairly natural way. So with that in mind, you could take Tonga Deli long-term and have these benefits. Maybe at certain points, you will get higher prolactin levels, uh, which we talked about at length in the podcast. And you could take something like apigenin to help knock those prolactin levels down, or you could then cycle off of the product for a little while, wait for your prolactin levels to drop again, and then start it back up when you feel like starting it back up. So my advice would be take it as long-term as possible, but if you notice bad effects starting to pop up, maybe cycle off or maybe take something like apigenin to help balance some of those effects out, but pay attention to what is happening in your body and do what seems most natural. If you're getting a lot of bad effects, you should probably stop it. And if you weren't getting bad effects for the first month or two, maybe it is because you've been taking it long term now and you just need a little bit of a break from it. So keep that in mind. Be mindful of what you're doing and go there with that mindset into determining if you need to cycle on or off or not. For me personally, I don't really cycle things. I just take it all the time. Every once in a while, I'll skip a Sunday. Uh, or maybe even a Saturday if I really don't have a whole lot going on and I kind of just want to reassess my baseline state uh, in a controlled, relaxed environment, then I'll do that. But other than that, I focus on the long-term effects. Thank you for that response. I think that's really helpful for people who are listening uh, that are concerned about, um, you know, the potential for what kinds of long-term effects testosterone supplementation can have. But I think that's a really great answer. And it really drives home the point that we make um, in every single podcast, which is at the end of the day, um, we want to provide the highest quality supplements to help you live your life uh, better and to optimize your health and to support your health. So that's what we did with the Tongata Lee 2% and 10% and uh, take it slow take it easy and pay attention to what happens, the benefits, and uh, trust yourself, listen to your body, and keep doing research because that's a really important part of this whole process. So now we're going to move on. Well, actually, we missed a part of this question. I'm realizing that. So the second part of the question was, also would be cool to see a discussion on the importance of specific vitamins and minerals in the prediction of, or in the production of testosterone, such as vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, maybe boron. And yes, 
you need zinc for proper testosterone production so that is a cofactor you need a lot of people especially athletes are deficient in zinc so taking zinc is always a good idea especially in the context of tangadali supplementation and, and overall trying to enhance your testosterone production magnesium is involved there too so it's no surprise that this zma stack was really popular for a long time which was zinc magnesium aspartate so people would take that before sleep it would help them sleep a little bit better with the idea that it would be enhancing testosterone production while they sleep honestly i don't have a whole lot of trust in zma doing this especially now that we have things like tonga Ali readily available at high quality those are much better options but with that in mind there was a reason for this and zinc and magnesium and vitamin d are definitely important for our overall testosterone production and this is why we also always say and and not just us a lot of people in the industry say the most important thing is to make sure that you're sleeping well you're eating well you're resting well and you've got your basics covered so magnesium a lot of us are deficient in magnesium if you don't have enough magnesium it will impact a lot of things negatively cognitive function uh, muscle function testosterone production same exact thing for zinc same exact thing for vitamin d and vitamin k2 so getting those basics covered first making sure that you're getting enough of these essential micronutrients consistently on a daily basis is really important and is important not just for testosterone production so you want to have adequate levels of these around at all times for all purposes, including testosterone production. So now we're going to move on to another category of questions. And this I'm particularly interested in the responses for because these questions are about testosterone in women. So we're going to start with Wanto Conero's question, which is, it would be interesting to hear about how these supplements affect women and older people of both sexes and any possible benefits, side effects, or risks to consider in these groups. Yeah, contrary to popular belief, women also need testosterone, and testosterone wouldn't necessarily give women facial hair and uh, Adam's apples and stuff like that. In fact, the facial hair thing, we talked earlier about DHT uh, playing a role in baldness but it also plays a role in facial hair growth so dht is maybe something we want to look out for but testosterone women needed women needed for libido for building muscle also for confidence and for overall uh, mood and, and things like that so very important and actually since erica has been looking into this herself and has been trying out some testosterone supplements for a while now i'm actually going to let you answer the rest of this question Okay, so uh, just to give a general overview, I started taking Sustanch, I want to say about four months ago, uh, daily. And the one thing I really noticed about Sustanch when I first started taking it was the mood boosting and the calming effects of it. Um, it honestly felt like one of the most effective calming supplements I've ever taken, uh, even uh, alongside of my favorite calming supplements like Sibele Sage um, or Lemon Balm, for example, I take the Sustanch uh, tablets and I find that it's really, really important in my daily stack to take Sustanch because it just gives me this seriously calming and grounded feeling, but it doesn't affect my energy levels. It doesn't uh, make me feel super stimulated or um, particularly up or down. It's just like this nice kind of across the board calming 
mood boosting effect. And then when I started taking Tongata Lee a few days ago, um, I really noticed a huge, a huge effect from the Tongata Lee 10%, uh, primarily with confidence and motivation. So generally speaking, I can be somewhat of a fickle and picky person, and I really pay attention to details, and I can be very uh, particular about certain situations, whether it's in my social life or in my uh, creative endeavors. And I have found that since starting to take the Tangadali 10%, um, I'm really able to address issues that would normally make me frustrated or normally feel uh, somewhat emotionally or cognitively challenging. And rather than being stopped by those feelings or, or those obstacles, it's like I bulldoze straight through them. And as soon as the obstacle pops itself up or I become aware of it, um, I make it my point to be swift and direct in addressing that obstacle, which has meant that for the past couple of days, I feel great. Uh, I feel confident. I feel like um, though Tangadali 10%, it's not necessarily having this effect where I feel like I can speak better or more eloquently. I feel more confident in what I'm saying and how I'm communicating. And the fact that there feels like there's more of a connection between, you know, my thoughts and my body sensations on the inside and how I'm able to translate that and put that out into the world. And speaking of your body, so we we're covering the psychological effects now. What yeah. have you noticed physically? Uh, physically, I would say I noticed more muscle tone. Um, I think this is likely due to having taken Sustanch for a couple months. Um, I noticed that I'm building muscle even though I'm not uh, working out in the gym, but other exercises or other activities that I'm doing in my day-to-day -day life uh, really require a lot of focus on posture and specifically like core strength and upper body strength. And I found that by taking Sustanch for this extended period of time that I've been able to build strength in my core and in my posture, which is really helping me to just avoid uh, repetitive stress injuries. Um, but also, I've noticed that I just have this feeling of calm, and so I have less issues with like nausea, um, less issues with you know certain digestive uh, discomforts that I might have on a day-to-day -day basis, and just generally like I just feel better physically. Perfect, and and I think this is a, a, a thing a lot of women can experience if they open their minds to some extra testosterone, which I, I think through years of stigmatism, it's, it's kind of like testosterone is for men, women can't touch it. Similar to how, you know, estrogen is for women, that men should stay far, far away from it. And that's another common myth. Men need estrogen just as much as women need estrogen. So we should consider for all sexes supplementing with something like Tonga Dali. Absolutely. And, and have I you noticed any negatives for yourself? No. Really, the only thing that I've started to think about is, um, you know, the long-term effects and, and what kinds of effects testosterone supplementation has on um, things like fertility and my menstrual cycle um, and just these other these other cycles that I experience um, as a woman. And I think if I can use my personal experience 
um, related to my menstrual cycle, I would say that after starting some testosterone supplementation, I experience uh, less intense PMS symptoms, specifically for mood. Um, I think the physical uh, symptoms of PMS cramping are also alleviated somewhat, um, although this varies depending on other environmental factors. Um, but I would say in general, it does make my menstrual cycle uh, less extreme and less intense. Perfect. Another kind of data point that testosterone is important for women and might underlie some of the, the negatives during menstrual cycles and could maybe help that. Absolutely. And then to answer the second part of this question, which is um, this, how Tangata Lee might benefit um, older people of both sexes, uh, we've heard a really great um, array of reports from our coworkers and from some family members of coworkers um, who are older and who have been taking Tangata Lee and really, really loving it for the motivation effects. Um, it's helping uh, performance in the gym. It's helping mood and just in general, um, really amazing and astounding to see just how effective um, the Tangata Lee 10% in, in particular is for so many people. And Emil definitely likes the 2% more, but uh, we find that a lot of people, a lot of our coworkers really do love the 10%. And I think for older folks, the 10% seems to be really effective because it's a very direct and uh, a very specific effect from that extract. And like I said earlier in the podcast too, I grew up in Malaysia and, and would drive around and see these billboards with really old men on them with these canes and then like a sachet of uh, Tonga Lee infused coffee next to them. And I, I, I was never able to read the Bahasa signs, but I, I'm pretty sure it would say something like, hey, if you're old and frail, take some Tonga Lee and revitalize yourself because that's kind of the the imaging that was in the billboards. But interesting that in one of the countries where uh, Tonga Dali originated in Malaysia, it, it also exists in Thailand and some other Southeast Asian countries, but it seems that it is maybe marketed more towards older populations, especially older populations who have issues with libido and overall vitality. Yeah, absolutely. So this leads us perfectly into the next question, um, which is from Shiny Milf, which they ask... I'd love to hear if these supplements could be beneficial for women slash AFAB, which is assigned female at birth, for anyone who's wondering. I feel like we are so neglected when it comes to supplements that can boost our libido, energy, etc. And I'm going to go out and say, yes, I hear you, and I agree. Um, however, there are so many supplements out there, so many supplements that um, I have taken and, and tried that I've found have been really beneficial for energy and also for libido. Um, and I would say that even though I haven't noticed the libido-enhancing effects specifically from Tongata Lee, I think over the last couple of months of taking Sustanch, I've definitely noticed some of these benefits. Um, and then the energy aspect of uh, taking Sustanch and Tongata Lee is really prominent and really noticeable um, even upon like the first day of taking these products. So if you're curious, and these are two areas that you're really looking to uh, support in your life and in your health, libido and energy, definitely give uh, Tongata Lee a try and try out Sustanch too, because you might like one or the other better, or perhaps even both. So our last question related to testosterone in women comes from Penny Lane Kitty. And the question is, would love to hear more details for women. 
please address any data or experiences for women. What considerations should we have? Appreciate our hormones are pretty trickly and change as we age, but so many women in perimenopause stage are looking for energy, building muscle, keeping libido, and seeking any edge that they can get to keep up with everything on their plates. And actually, one of the main things that women in menopause or perimenopause or post-menopausal women experience is decreases in testosterone levels. So this is definitely a good thing for menopausal women or post-menopausal women to think about as well, helping to enhance uh, testosterone levels a little bit. Absolutely. And from everything that I had discussed um, in the previous question, I would say, Try out Tangadali, see how it works for you, uh, take note of the benefits, and in terms of what considerations uh, you should have, you should have the same considerations as any other person taking Tangadali, um, which is, are you getting the benefits that you seek from it? Um, does the dose feel right for you? Does it feel right for you to be taking it on a daily basis? And do you have enough research for yourself and information uh, to feel confident and comfortable taking this because um, this is a really important sort of system to go through as you're trying new supplements. And I think what you refer to seeking any edge to keep up with everything on your plate, uh, in my experience, taking Tangadali the past couple of days, I feel like this has a really, really significant benefit for exactly this. So I would highly recommend and encourage you to give it a try yourself. Now we're going to switch into questions about the mechanisms of action related to testosterone, how testosterone is synthesized, and how Tangadali itself works. So the first question comes from Delight Fool, nice name, and the question is, can I increase testosterone by lowering cortisol? What supplements can you suggest for this specifically? Not really. Cortisol definitely impacts uh, muscle protein synthesis and anabolism and actually can cause some catabolism. So lowering cortisol is a good way to enhance overall um, muscle strength and, and muscle building and things like that. Interestingly enough, though, Tongan Ali is great at lowering cortisol. So you are literally getting both when you take Tongan Ali. You're getting testosterone synthesis benefits and you're getting cortisol lowering benefits. Cool. And our next question related to mechanisms is coming from Bliet Boy. And this question is, does Tongat or any of the other natural testosterone supplements present the risk of downregulation of their respective receptors? In Tongat's case, I presume it would be Leydig cell, uh, LH receptor, but possibly other receptors involved in its MOA from long-term or high-dose usage. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, so anything can cause some level of downregulation. That's just how our body works. But again, we are looking at not in- insane increases here. So I wouldn't expect like shutdown or anything like that to happen. Um, and over time, yeah, maybe we'll get a little bit less effective. But at the same time, you are elevating those testosterone levels. And you might not have the same benefit of it after a few months. But overall it would help maintain those testosterone levels uh, at a slightly higher level other than that i think 
this is another reason why you should stay away from high doses. Like we talked about in the cycling question, the higher the dose, the more there is going to be a need for cycling off of it because you're pushing the extremes, you're getting much larger uh, effect sizes, which for short-term benefits might be good, but for long-term benefits, you actually want to prevent very drastic downregulation from happening. So this is another reason why we just suggest taking a normal low dose of Tonga Dali and just taking it long term so you can maintain those testosterone levels and you're not seesawing back and forth all the time. Absolutely. All right, our next question comes from XNX, XNX, XXXN. And the question is, I have no real questions about testosterone, but rather estrogen. Some stuff supposedly affects estrogen, such as astaxanthin found in your curl oil, but lots of us take it separately. So my question would be how to balance estrogen and testosterone effectively, especially in men who lift, who don't want gyno or testicle problems. Yeah, and and this is a good question. And some of this, uh, I'm not going to mention the exact name because it's a bit of a medical thing, but the, the enhanced breast tissue growth in men is likely not due to estrogen at all, like we talked about earlier in the podcast. But it's, it's due actually, to prolactin. Yeah, so that being said, though, helping to balance your estrogen levels is a good thing, and it seems like your question is hinting at lowering estrogen levels, but this is a bad thing because men need estrogen as well. Uh, for example, estrogen is really important for microvascularization in your brain. If you take away estrogen, this could cause issues. Uh, estrogen also plays a role in the, the optical system, your eyes, so it could impact eye health and optic nerve health. So we want estrogen to stay around. One of the ways in which Tangadali does enhance um, testosterone is by blocking one of the estradiol receptors. It's not necessarily lowering estrogen levels, but it is basically overriding the system that would limit testosterone production by blocking one of these estradiol receptors. But when you enhance luteinizing hormone, luteinizing hormone is also important for estrogen synthesis. So when we are looking at things that help enhance luteinizing hormone expression, like Tangadali and Cystange and Fidoja aggressus, which we talked about earlier, which is not a great idea to take that probably, but when you take these luteinizing hormone increasing supplements, then you're also increasing estrogen production in a in a beneficial way. So one way to actually help enhance both and help balance them is actually by taking the supplements we're discussing in this podcast. Awesome. All right, our next question comes from Amazeface. And the question is, what are the risks of interfering with the hormone system? This was always something I was wary of. Ultimately, my curiosity led me to try Tangad Ali, and I'm glad I did, but I wonder if there's still some wisdom to that wariness of hormone-affecting substances. Certainly, children should probably stay away from them at a minimum. What about college student-age people? When is it safe? Besides that, I would also echo some other questions around cycling this substance. I took it for a few months without a break and ended up feeling run down, though maybe another nootropic contributed to that, so I can't pin it directly on Tongat. I only take it like every three days now. I'd be curious if there's some good advice around this. Yeah, so the hormone system is a little bit trickier and, and not as well understood as other systems in the body. But another thing is the hormone system usually gets abused to no end. And this is something we don't necessarily see with a whole lot of other things other than when we're looking at drug abuse or, or something like that. But in some of these bodybuilding circles, the 
the hormone stuff they're doing there is definitely really pushing the limits and i think we base a lot of our public perception about hormones on that kind of stuff on things like birth control and and some of this performance enhancing stuff but we're not really in that area at all and and we're looking at more natural ways of just optimizing and enhancing testosterone synthesis and by just elevating it a little bit to where it is at more normal levels if your testosterone is low or if your testosterone is at a more normal level to kind of get you a little bit more testosterone but it's not really getting massive massive increases of levels of testosterone that your body would never see we are more mimicking youthful levels of testosterone and this kind of brings us to the children thing and you know no children should be taking any supplements to be honest and until the age of 18 or unless you have some very serious uh, uh, doctor supervision which is also why it says that on our labels but after the age of 18 you could potentially take something like Tonga Dali but again at the age of 18 and, and below that your testosterone levels are probably quite high and you are doing a lot of pro muscle protein synthesis. So is there really a need for it? Uh, would it really do anything if your testosterone levels are already that high? Once you are past the age of 18, maybe you're 22, 23, 24, something in, in that age range and you're starting to get more stressed and your uh, nutritional intake starts to degrade a little bit because you're in college and you're probably pounding beers all weekend long like I did, then taking something that hap that helps enhance testosterone production is probably a good thing, especially as we start to get a little bit older. So that being said, you can try it if you're college aged. Stay away from it as a kid. You don't want to take anything under 18 anyways, and you probably really don't need it anyways. Nice. I like that response. So moving nice and quickly on to our next question from Nightwave. I'm interested in Tongadali's ability to inhibit aromatase. I've seen people mention this a lot, but I wonder if there's any evidence to back that up or how strong the inhibition is. I haven't gotten blood work to support this, but I seem to get high estrogen sides when I use your 10% extract daily, and I expected it to have the opposite effect. So Emil, what say ye? Again, we're, we're not really talking about enormous uh, increases in testosterone that you would never see in a normal human being. We're more optimizing overall testosterone. With that in mind, we're probably also not seeing a ton of testosterone being aromatized into estrogen. And Tongadali does seem to have some mild uh, anti-aromatase activity, which would help prevent some of this conversion of testosterone to estrogen. But like we've been touching on a lot, I think we are oftentimes um, misreading the the negative effects we're getting or misattributing the negative effects we're getting with some of this hormone stuff to estrogen when it is really prolactin. So again, I think prolactin is the culprit here. So having something like apigenin, which can uh, lower prolactin levels, might prevent some of those things from happening. And maybe some of the the, some negative effects that you're experiencing is actually because of prolactin and not because of estrogen. Good to know. Now, another question from Delight Fool. Echoing other comments, this is from your description of cystanch. Echinocides support overall testosterone levels. Isn't free testosterone what matters, not overall levels? How do we finesse this? The role of aromatase inhibition. 
Does testosterone affect dopamine, motivation, mood? And if so, what's the general significance? Yeah, so you have indeed bound testosterone bound to uh, sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG, and then you... and testosterone bound to albumin and then you just have free testosterone free testosterone is what is interacting with the androgen receptors and is causing the effects that we want bound up testosterone isn't but you need bound up testosterone to transport it around your body so if you just have a bunch of free testosterone uh, floating around then it might not actually get to where it needs to so we are actually concerned about elevating overall testosterone levels, not just free testosterone levels, because we want that testosterone to be able to get to where it wants to get. So enhancing overall testosterone while making sure that we don't have everything always bound up is the way to go. And this is kind of what Tonga Dali seems to achieve. It seems to achieve a nice balance between bound and free testosterone. Awesome. And now we're going to move on to a really interesting um selection of questions about cholesterol and testosterone. So our first question comes from Hurricane, and the question is, I would be interested in learning more about the relationship between cystanch and cholesterol intake, as well as Tangata Lee with iodine. I've read some people and Mr. You Are So Dumb talking about it on the subreddit. Yeah, so testosterone is synthesized at the end of the day from cholesterol so you need cholesterol to help enhance uh, testosterone synthesis it doesn't necessarily mean eating more cholesterol containing foods is going to help enhance testosterone synthesis that would be nice it would be nice (laughs) and and if anything we we usually have too much cholesterol floating Mm -hmm. around and i would say when we're probably never really in this uh, situation where we just have such low cholesterol levels that we can't really make testosterone from it so that's why when we we're adding things like tonga dali or cystanchin we do get fairly good testosterone synthesis enhancing abilities from cholesterol without really messing with cholesterol too much that being said perhaps because more cholesterol is being turned into testosterone potentially it could be seen as that is a cholesterol lowering strategy except we're not burning through grams of cholesterol to do this. We're burning through small amounts to produce relatively small amounts of testosterone because we're talking about testosterone in like 10, 20, 30 milligram levels floating around. We're not talking about grams floating around like we do see with some other endogenous compounds like glutathione and things like that, which are present in grams, but you won't see a huge drop in cholesterol levels likely from enhancing testosterone synthesis um the iodine thing is interesting i'm still not entirely sure why this helps but it it might have something to do with um, thyroid hormones and how this interacts with tonga dali so that's kind of i think where we're looking at this it does seem like taking some iodine with tonga dali is nice and actually we could probably all take some more iodine because we are likely a little bit low in iodine, which is also why sometimes you see warnings on table salt that it says, this is not a good source of iodine, or sometimes you see iodinized salt because it does seem like we are all a little bit low on iodine, so taking some extra iodine is not a bad idea, and especially if it seems to enhance the activity of Tonga Dali. Awesome. 
Our next question comes from a frequent question asker, Solo the Sensei. And this question is, if testosterone is ultimately made from cholesterol, then what part of the conversion process usually goes wrong that leads to low testosterone, assuming adequate cholesterol intake? I know ND has a few products that help and would love to get a broad overview of how they fit into the picture, perhaps as cofactors or enzyme activators. Excellent question, as always. Yeah, so uh, cholesterol is being turned into testosterone by a bunch of different enzymes, actually some CYP-type enzymes too, and Tongadeli and Sustange and uh, even Shilajit, they help enhance what they call these steroidogenic enzymes. So these enzymes that are converting cholesterol into testosterone. So maybe if something goes wrong here, we would see lower testosterone levels, and that definitely seems to be the case, and especially as we age. So Shilajit specifically uh, seems to enhance testosterone levels in aging individuals, and if we consider that these aging individuals have lower levels of these steroidogenic enzymes, then enhancing this enzyme activity with something like Shilajit, Tongali, or Sustange is going to help there. Um, That being said, when things go wrong, I think they might go wrong somewhere else, like Tongadali blocks one of these estradiol receptors that kind of serves as a, as a check. If it determines that there's too much testosterone floating around, then it will kind of shut off testosterone production, and I think this is more where the issue is. So the issue is probably much further upstream in the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And this is also where you see... Um, individuals who play extreme sports or in football and they get certain head injuries if they have injuries to their pituitary gland or their hypothalamus then testosterone production can be impacted so we want to enhance these things or prevent this from happening in athletes so this is something Andrew Huberman talks about a lot on his podcast too and it's a really interesting topic that I think hasn't been researched enough yet so we might figure out a lot better strategies of how to keep testosterone production and synthesis good in athletes in extreme sports, but also just aging individuals or individuals who have other sort of issues where they can't produce enough testosterone. Nice. Way to flex on that question, Emil. I'm impressed. All right, now we're going to go into another segment of questions, which is about side effects. And our first question comes from Savage545 which is, will taking these supplements to increase testosterone contribute to or speed up the process of hair loss or balding? If so, out of Tongat, Sustanch, Epicatechin, etc., are some more prone to cause hair loss than others? Also, what is the ideal timing for taking these supplements for bodybuilding? First thing in the morning, right before bed, pre-workout, post-workout, etc., with food or on an empty stomach? Lots of questions within that question, so we'll just go through them nice and efficiently for you. Yeah, like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, DHT is really the thing that uh, contributes to hair loss. So enhancing testosterone levels could, in theory, enhance DHT levels, which then could, in theory, enhance the process of hair loss. But that being said, with something like Tonga Dali or Sistange, an epicatechin doesn't even really enhance testosterone levels. So that's definitely not a concern there. And the level at which testosterone is being enhanced by things like uh, Tonga Dali and Sistange, 
I don't think you're going to get massive, massive increases in DHT like some of these Mr. Universe type bodybuilders see, which is why they're mainly all bald. Um, we're likely not seeing that here. So I wouldn't really worry about that. It's another thing with creatine, even though creatine enhances DHT levels, um, we don't see people suddenly losing their hair because of the extra little bit of DHT from creatine. Um, there are some things you can do to help prevent some of this DHT from being formed, but at the end of the day, we need DHT. DHT also has an effect on our cognitive function and muscle growth, and it's an important compound to keep around. So that being said, I just really wouldn't worry that much about DHT in a supplementation setting. Awesome. And now the second part of this question, which is what's the ideal timing for taking these supplements for bodybuilding? First thing in the morning, right before bed, pre-workout, post-workout, etc., with food or on an empty stomach. In terms of timing, really honestly take it whenever you want. We're more long-term trying to optimize the synthesis of testosterone, uh, and this is more of a, a long-term thing, so whenever is most ideal for you. I will say because Tanga Dali does have a bit of a calming effect, and it can knock down cortisol levels. This could be a really good thing to take post-workout, for example, because after your workouts, uh, cortisol spikes. So you could help blunt some of this exercise-induced cortisol spike, which could be catabolic, by taking some Tongad. This is another reason why people like to take um, carbohydrates after a workout, because carbohydrates help blunt that cortisol response too. But taking something like Tongadali after workout might have this double benefit of knocking down that cortisol, enhancing anabolism, and then also enhancing overall testosterone levels. Uh, then in terms of with food or without food, if you can handle the Tongadali on an empty stomach, which not everyone can, then just take it on an empty stomach because it will cause faster and more complete uh, absorption. Whereas taking it with food you will have slower overall absorption, you won't reach as high of serum levels, but on the other hand, you will extend the effects a little bit because you're slowing down absorption, which also means you're slowing down excretion. So there's benefits to both. I always like taking my supplements on an empty stomach when I can, though. Nice. All right, our next question comes from 12, Eel Deal. And the question is, why does Tongadali make me feel sleepy, tired, unmotivated for a brief period after taking it? And before you answer, Emil, I do have to say, when I tried the 2%, after about 35 minutes or so, I had a period of 15 minutes where I felt really sleepy and really relaxed. And then all of a sudden it kind of went away. Cortisol reduction. Makes sense. Yeah. So Tongadali does a really good job of knocking down cortisol. If you were to take it first thing in the morning, especially right around like 10 or 11, then your cortisol levels are usually the highest, which also helps you stay alert in those early hours of the day. So if you're knocking down cortisol levels there, you could certainly notice that kind of effect. Awesome. And that leads into our next question from jcash2142, which is, it would be cool if you guys could talk about the negative reactions to Tongat and any counters. It worked great for me in the past, increasing testosterone, muscle size, energy, but it also gave me insomnia. If I take it now, I end up feeling fatigue. I assume it's something to do with the anti-estrogen effects, but who knows? 
it's likely again the cortisol so i've looked into this uh, a few times because a few different people have experienced this and i've kind of been at a, at a loss uh, what exactly is going on because i've actually heard a similar thing from our marketing director yesterday they've been taking the tongue at 10 percent for about a month now i think and his sleep quality has really improved so there seems to be two sides of the coin and it does look like if your cortisol levels are really 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 low you might actually get this uh, paradoxical issues with sleep so perhaps your cortisol levels are a little bit too low um, which would be worth checking into it would be worth maybe taking cystanche instead because cystanche doesn't have this uh, much of an effect on cortisol levels or you could take something like ginseng because ginseng helps mimic cortisol so it produces a very small controlled stress response which is important because you actually do need some cortisol to stay motivated and alert and focused so one thing you could do is maybe try taking tangat together with uh, uh, ginseng maybe the ginseng leaf extract because it's a little bit more stimulating than the other ones too so this could help. And again, I really don't think it is necessarily related to estrogen. It's probably cortisol. Awesome. And now moving on to another question. I'd love to hear a discussion on possible supplements to stack with Tongarali. And then quick introduction. We've done that at length, so you've probably got plenty of things to work with here in order to counter the purported anti-estrogenic effects. I've always taken 5 milligrams DHEA daily with it, which I'm not really sure is helping or not. It'd be nice to know if this is a good strategy or if there are better ones out there. Emil, you'd probably be the perfect person to ask. Yeah, because I actually take DHEA with it as well. And I also take pregnenolone, both in 5 milligram doses. And I hope this is something we'll carry at some point in the future too. And I do feel like it helps enhance the overall effectiveness of Tangarali. Again, because one of the re one of the things that cholesterol turns into before it turns into um, testosterone is pregnenolone and DHEA. So they work as very efficient precursors. And taking those alongside things that help enhance overall testosterone production is a really good strategy. So yeah, good intuition there. And good intuition on sticking with the low 5 milligram dose of DHEA because... Most people way, way overdose DHEA. It's a similar problem that we see with melatonin, for example, where most over-the-counter products are dosed enormously high. You want those lower doses, they work better. Awesome. And our last question in this, in this realm of questions comes from Iman123, and they ask, pretty specific question, why would Tangarali and Sistanch cause brain fog? I noticed the 10% causes a lot more brain fog than the 2%. This may again be a cortisol thing. Your cortisol may just be dropping a little bit too low and you're getting that unmotivated lethargy thing. So the the fact that it's happening with cystanche, I'm, I don't really have an explanation for necessarily. Maybe uh, elevated testosterone levels don't really work well for you or if it is cortisol related, again, taking something like ginseng alongside with it might solve some of these problems. Awesome. And now, getting to the most exciting and controversial part of our podcast, we're going to talk about one question on Fidoja, and it comes from 12 Eel Deal, and the question is, men in my social circle have been taking Fidoja, and they all say their testicles have increased in size. Why is that? I'm skeptical of it, and after just preliminary digging around on Reddit and on the internet, it's on my not yet list. 
And it's on my not, list, not yet list too, because this testicle enlargement effect is being attributed to this uh, effect on luteinizing hormone, which as we talked about a little bit earlier, enhanced luteinizing hormone uh, production will also enhance the density of Leydig cells that may grow the testicles because of that. But in some of the studies I was looking at, the testicular increases might ha or size increases may also be an indication of its potential testicular toxicity. So it seems to mess with some other enzymes in the testicles that might uh, cause them to swell a little bit and get bigger. So yeah, maybe your testicles are getting bigger and maybe this is what you want because we all want big balls, right? But at the end of the day, this might actually be a sign of toxicity. So another reason not to take Fedoja, like we've talked about in the actual body of the podcast, there are some uh, toxicity elements that have not been properly explained away yet by science. So it might have testicular toxicity, it might have liver toxicity, and it might have kidney toxicity. So before we know more, I'm going to keep this one on my not yet list. Awesome. And last but very not least, we have questions about other testosterone supplements the first one coming from The Optimizer, who is asking great questions on a lot of our podcasts. And this one is, also, are there any studies indicating that shilajit actually increases testosterone? And is washing down shilajit with tap water actually a concern at normal chlorine levels? Or is that a myth? So there is some evidence that shilajit enhances steroidogenic uh, enzyme activity, uh, part of the thing that takes cholesterol and, and eventually turns it into testosterone. And but this effect really seems to work the best in older individuals or individuals with impacted enzyme activity there. But in old individuals, older individuals, there is actually human clinical data showing increases in testosterone. So there is some evidence for it. Whether or not this happens in young, healthy people is a bit of a question mark, but the evidence and the mechanisms are there for supporting testosterone synthesis, but not really at the same magnitude as something like Tongad or uh, Systanche. And then for the remaining part of the question, is washing down shilajit with tap water a concern at normal chlorine levels? Yeah, so this is a bit of a, a question mark too, and and the data is there to show that chlorine interacting with shilajit is potentially not good. So I would just say skip this and you know shilajit tastes kind of gross anyway so it's probably better to take it in a capsule or in an oblate disc anyways and then you would prevent this issue of potentially shilajit interacting with chlorine good to know all right our next question comes from lewane and the question is can you talk about the mechanism of tribulus is there any synergistic effect with combining tongat cystanch and tribulus so Tribulus, a lot of people seem to think that it enhances testosterone levels, but I really don't think it actually enhances testosterone levels, but it might have an effect on mTOR, which will enhance um, muscle building and muscle protein synthesis. So I think that's where some of the strength benefits are coming from with tribulus. And we're actually looking into some tribulus extracts because we do think it is quite interesting. Uh, but we kind of need to set the record straight that it's likely not a testosterone-enhancing thing, even though it's oftentimes promoted as that. That being said, because it is working through a different pathway, but it still seems to be enhancing overall muscular strength and um, endurance and things like that and recovery, 
it could be very good to stack alongside something like Tangadali or Tangadali and Sustange because of their potentially uh, synergistic effects since they are working through different mechanisms. Awesome. Good to know. And another question about other testosterone supplements comes from Chatabob25. Love that name. Would love your thoughts slash research on ashwagandha for testosterone support and also the combo of fenugreek and ginseng. Uh, ashwagandha does seem to have some minor testosterone benefits, more so supporting testosterone levels, not necessarily increasing testosterone beyond your normal baseline levels, but more maintaining it there and helping to enhance overall vitality. There's some research there. It seems to work well. So it is a good one. But again, if you're really looking to really optimize your um, testosterone levels, go with something like Tongad or go with something like Sistanch or go with something like Sistanch and then stack it with Shodan because, uh, or Ashwagandha. I always say Shodan now because Shodan is just my all-time favorite. Uh, the other ones are really nice too, by the way, but I really like Shodan. Anyways, if you take something like Ashwagandha alongside uh, Sistanch, you might have this nice stress relieving effect but also dropping cortisol levels in a similar way to Tonga Dali but maybe in a more controlled way too so those could stack well together awesome and then the second part of the question about the combo of fenugreek and ginseng and we don't currently have a fenugreek extract but um, I love fenugreek as an ingredient for food I'm really curious what you think about this combination there is some interesting research there that fenugreek may indeed help uh, enhance testosterone synthesis. I haven't delved too deeply into it, so I still have to do this. Uh, and I'll have to specifically do some research actually into the fenugreek and ginseng combo, because this is one that's new to me. Ginseng is, is another one of those where it will probably help support overall testosterone levels, but it may not really boost testosterone levels to the levels that we're wanting to see and that we see with things like Tongat. But it could, again, uh, have a supportive role, and ginseng would stack especially well with Tongat because Tongat is dropping cortisol levels, but then ginseng is providing some of that more controlled stress response through its uh, cortisol-mimicking abilities. So having taking those together would probably make a really nice stack overall. I love it. And our very last question comes from The Eternal Truth. What a great name to end with. And the question is, what about information on turkesterone? This research chemical is all the rage now, especially since a few popular YouTubers brought it to the awareness of the fitness industry. Emil, thoughts on turkesterone? So turkesterone is not a research chemical. I'll, I'll just say that right away. It's actually something that is found, technically found in nature. Um... I don't want to give away too much information yet, but we have been doing a lot of research into this and it's not looking all too great for tocastron. So it is something we're interested in. It is something that we don't necessarily think is realistically possible. And we'll talk more about this later when we are ready to present our research on this, but it is an interesting thing. And I know actually Andrew Huberman has talked about it too, uh, which is probably where some of the interest is coming from as well. Um, but it's tocasterone is also very similar to beta echidesterone, and that is something that's more realistically possible, and you may see from us in the future. Uh, in terms of your last question about uh, SARMs, or I'm just reading it off the page here, Eric hasn't said it, but this is not something we will discuss or ever carry. These are 
they're not really allowed to be sold as supplements and they're a little sketchy in my opinion so whew, what an episode right emil oh yeah we <laughs> covered a ton of ground um thanks to anyone who's still listening truly thank you and uh thanks for your questions and thanks for uh sort of steering the in search of insight podcast into these really interesting areas uh we covered so much ground today talking about testosterone uh, and hormones in general talking about tangata lee and sustanch and fidogia agrestis and the way that we at nootropics depot approach testosterone supplementation um I'm really glad to have tried out Tangata Lee, the 10%, and I'm excited at the effects that I've experienced over the last couple of days because I think when it comes to conversations about hormones, we can all be really sensitive and perhaps deterred by uh, fear or misinformation to not dig a little bit deeper and find out for ourselves what's going to be beneficial for supporting testosterone and supporting these areas of our lives like our workouts and intimacy in our lives and energy and motivation. Um, but Nootropics Depot, we're all about pushing the boundaries. We want to research, we want to learn more. And that's really what drives the In Search of Insight podcast is our curiosity, your curiosity and your questions and the back and forth that we get. So for anyone who's not aware, who might be listening to this podcast, we have a really active subreddit where you can talk with us uh, all the time, not just through questions in the podcast, but you can actually ask questions on our subreddit. That's r slash Nootropics Depot and get into conversations with other Nootropics geeks just like you uh, every single day. So go and join our community on Reddit r slash Nootropics Depot and join the conversation and ask your questions and share your knowledge and research studies that you're finding because the more exchanges that we have, the more we all learn and the better able we will be to optimize our health and to push the nootropic supplement industry forward, which is our main goal and the thing that we're truly passionate about at Nootropics Depot. So thanks for participating. Thanks for coming on this very long podcast journey with us. Thank you, Emil, for your wealth of knowledge and your answering of all of these questions that we have and really guiding us along this super, super informative conversation. Of course, it's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of fun to be able to talk about this at more length, because this is what I really like doing, and I don't oftentimes have the opportunity to do so, because this goes over a lot of people's heads, uh, but you guys are very smart, and I, I'm, I'm confident that you're understanding what we're putting out there. Absolutely, and if you do have follow-up questions or things you want to know about specifically from the podcast, uh, write us a comment on YouTube. Uh, make a post on Reddit, interact with us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on social media. And as always, you can listen to the In Search of Insight podcast on a host of your favorite streaming platforms. So be sure to check it out, share it with your friends who might be interested and come back next month. That's going to be, and the next month is going to be our seventh episode of In Search of Insight for more information, uh, new products that have been released and exciting conversations all within the world of nootropic supplements. So with that, we will sign off and say thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.